While we'll be consuming alcohol throughout the show, should you choose to join in, we ask that you only do so where it's legal, safe, and in moderation. We also welcome your feedback and suggestions on our Instagram at Movies Rock Podcast. And should we say anything rude, non-inclusive, or otherwise wrong, we apologize in advance. We are affirming of all, so with that being said, offense or ill will is never our intent. Now let's get back to the show. I want to play a harmonica with my ass. Welcome, everybody, to <laughs> Movies on the Rocks. It's <laughs> actually, we are the Motor Boys. Motor, 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 motor. And uh, first off, am I, am I crackling? Am I going a little too crazy? Always. Always, as you scream into the mic, sir. Am I doing that again today? I didn't realize. You're already doing it, dude. You don't remember? I'm sorry. Do I sound good though? Do I sound good? good? You're good. Awesome. Awesome. Anyways, we are the Motor Boys, and we are here to talk movies and talk a lot of shit and drink a lot of liquid and fire water. Anyways, and um, as always, we have the eponymous Derek. Eponymous. Okay. Yes. Hi, everyone. I don't know what that means, word. but it's yes, yes. I, I think I know Possibly. what that word means. Possibly. Possibly. And I have also Elias with us. Greetings. Um, and um, and of course myself, Tomas. But before we move forward, I want to make sure everyone understands today is for at least for the foreseeable future, Elias's last episode on the show. So let's go ahead and give yeah, let's go ahead and give a round of applause for Elias first. <laughs> Could be the butt of all new jokes as opposed to uh, what's his face? Yeah, the Derek or Derek or every other generation Derek. Yes, 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 yes. It's it's. I was trying to clap, but it's just a single clap. It's just like. Yeah, that's it. That was all it was. Oh, you're you're stalling. Okay, you're freezing up the most. <laughs> oh god, is that what that was? Okay. Anyways, Elias, I'm glad to see you go, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Uh, work responsibilities and other fun adulting <laughs> adventures. Got a lot. Do you mean? Fuck Tell that. our listeners that this isn't your career future. <laughs> no, um, I, I don't. I don't know if we're going to be at a Joe Rogan level anytime soon. So L- listen, listen, folks, we do this for you. We eat all of that sponsorship yes. dollar loss <laughs> just so that you can have a clean, already very violated podcast delivered to you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Brought to you by Laxative Elax. Anyways, but uh, we are today going to be speaking about the motion picture known as Once Upon a Time in the West. But before we begin an epic episode on that epic motion picture. Let's go ahead and talk about what we're drinking tonight. I'll start because it's boring as fuck. Because unfortunately, I am on 
<sighs> antibiotics and uh my wife won't let me drink tonight so <laughs> yeah for real let me do that right now hold on <laughs> Exactly. But yes. Anyway, so for that reason, I'm just drinking fucking Crystal Light and fucking Wild Strawberry and Yippee for me. What a downer. Elias, uh, what are you drinking, man? I'm doing my old fashioned. The same way I started is the same way I'm going out. Hey. Oh Yes. I, I will know I had some delicious sipping rum a couple weeks ago, which I sent a picture to Tomas. Oh yeah, dude! I gotta, I gotta get a, a freaking bottle of that shit. What was it? What was it again? Dude, I gotta find it. Oh, it I'll look was, at the picture. I'll look at the picture now. Go, go, go! Keep going. It was man. I I'm not a big rum fan, but the second I had it, I just I thought. Oh, of Navio. Yeah, so that's 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 actually a Cuban rum for real from Cuba because yeah, it has the it had. I was looking into it and it had because if you look at the top of the bottle, it says República de Cuba Garantia. Yeah. Yep. So that just, you know, it says Republic of Cuba guarantee. Anything that they sell outside the country has this little label over the top or across the lip. Like if it's a box of cigars, it has a cross the opening yeah. lip to make sure you understand that it is a actual thing from yeah. Cuba. So I got to it's, it's a legit export. So, yeah, I got to I got to get a bottle of that. Dude, I, it was really good. I again, I'm not a rum guy. And this was like the neatest nice. thing to drink. I, I really enjoyed it. So highly recommend. Awesome. Awesome. <clears throat> Derek, what are you drinking tonight, buddy? Well, folks, I'm going to go off script and have another of the same fucking beer that I've had for the last few episodes because it's great. <laughs> Sapporo. Sapporo, folks. Yes. yes. Hey, it's a good beer, dude. You know, I haven't had beer in a long time, and that's a good beer. It's uh, it's Old Faithful is what it is. Yeah, man. It's delicious. Hey, anyway. Dude. Um, although I am still desperately on the hunt for some cure and light, but I can't find it anywhere. Like nowhere has it. Really? Oh, it's not even oh, that really? fancy of a beer. It's not. It's like a. It's like a Japanese. Do I you guys have uh, total wine and more out in no San um, may, Maybe somewhere no, on this side of town, Houston. but Houston. it should be. You should have one, dude. Total wine should be around. They it should have be everything. Somewhere. Those people yeah, are man. amazing. We have specs, dude, and that's that's about specs. as nice as it gets. It's pretty mm, yeah. It's, yeah, it's not bad, but yeah, you should have a total wine somewhere, dude. I'm gonna find something because I'm. I think this There's is gotta I think be a total wine. In, There's gotta be a total wine somewhere in Cyprus, dude. Somewhere. Yeah, I think I think I'm gonna have to make a run anyway because I've only got enough for tonight. I think. Oh wait, you know what, dude? There might be one near near where you are in Bel Air because I would assume they'd have something near like that in Bel Air or in I'm the sure area. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like when you have to go into the office, whatever. Yeah, folks. So I go into the office in Bel Air, apparently. <laughs> On the other news, you know, I started going to the other office. It's so much nicer. Anyway, I know, dude. Anyways, um, so all right, but um, but yeah, okay. So before we do that, um, you guys got uh oh, the other thing is, is so I just came back from a cruise. All right, mm-hmm. and um, we did, I did a I did a cruise with the family, and we went to like. We went to PR, which I've been to before, which is fine. I used to go to PR every summer when I was a kid, too. So it was nothing out of the world for me. Uh, but we did get to go to this um, Cuban pastry. Well, it's a Spanish, it's a Spanish Cuban pastry place called, uh, used to be called Casa España. Now it's just called Panadería España, mm-hmm. which means uh, bread maker, bakery, Span- right. Spain baker or whatever. Spanish but, bakery, yes. Spanish bakery. Um, <laughs> but really, the guys, the guys are they're Cubans, but they're of Spanish descent. Um, and so they, um, 
I used to go there all the time as a kid with my grandfather. Um, and I would have Napoleones. Oh, so good. I mean, they're like fucking diabetes comas in like pastry. But um, we went there, all which was the great. Because things are always this way. Oh, yeah. And I had a choripan, which was, oh, I had one in like 20 years. Um, but uh, which is like, a, it's in Cuban bread. And they put like um, Spanish chorizo slices in it with cheese. And they toast the bread, toast it together in like a, 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 like a press. Oh, it's so good. Anyways, but uh, we went there. Then we went to Dominican Republic, um, which, you know, I wasn't, I was okay with. Bought a little too many cigars, giving some out because I bought like 50 when I shouldn't have bought that many. Ugh. And um, so, but anyways, so then we went there and I, it was, the weather wasn't great in PR and it wasn't, it was really wasn't great in Dominican Republic and the beaches weren't dirty it was just not a good scene i told michelle i was like i don't think we're gonna come to dr again she's like yeah i'm not cool with the vibe of dr pr yes puerto rico yes i got the vibe aren't there, the but. dominican cigars cuban seed Tomas? this one is cuban one? seed this one is cuban seed but it's also had cuban leaf in it okay so it had cuban leaf cuba had cuban dominican and nicaraguan leaf in mm. the cigars and it's a good cigar i'm not gonna lie the the name of the cigar factory is called monsenor and it's a good cigar i smoked one i smoked two one they gave me one for free when i walked in the door and then the second one um the second one i had bought and i smoked it while i was on the ship awesome. um but uh but yeah so uh anyways so then as and then the third day the third trip because we it was like three days at sea and then three ports um, the, the third day port day was at Grand Turk in Turks and Caicos. That was choice. It's beautiful. The water I've never seen yeah. water so clear. It was like it was like I don't know emerald or sapphire, or whatever the hell you want to call it, whatever color. It was so clear. And we went snorkeling and it took us to a beach and it was bro beautiful beautiful water it was so good water was a little cold but i was cool with it michelle was like no i'm okay i'm like yeah no it's awesome but right, yeah I'll, I'll do it alone fine yeah i'll do it okay and, and the girls did it they didn't care because they were like they're like i want to get in the water we're like yeah but then but on, on the trip i bought those cigars but then also bought a bottle of 23 year old ron sacapa oh sacapa is awesome dude yeah panamanian oh. room i bought a bottle of that for like for like uh, 50 bucks. Nice. It's great. Yeah. On the ship, they were selling it for 94. I was like, yeah, I don't think I can, I, don't, I think that's too expensive. Cause then I can get it here. I think you can get it in the States for like 60 bucks, 65 bucks. But there I got it for like 50, 53. And then I bought, um, I bought a bottle of this eight year old of uh, the Bacardi eight, but it was a Bacardi eight finished in rye casks. So I'm going to try that after my antibiotics are done. <laughs> uh, and you know what I mean because and then I also because my cousin he went to Turk also um, to, he had a, has a friend that has a house in Turks so he went to Turks about 3-4 months ago and he's told me look don't buy anything in Turks don't buy cigars don't buy anything the liquor you probably should buy because it'll be duty free when you come but don't buy anything outside the duty free I'm like alright so he goes, but their local room is called Bambara, and it was really good. I'm like, okay, all right, cool. 
This is my cousin that lives in Oklahoma. He's like the, the like the liquor is really the, the rum. Their local rum was really good. It's like I had that the entire time I was there. It was really really good. I'm like, okay, cool. So I bought a bottle of their reserve, of nice. the of the local rum, not the regular. I bought their dark reserve. So Did you check out a distillery happened. or just bought it at a store? I bought it. The, I bought it at the duty free because gotcha. I mean because I mean if you get a duty duty free, it's all tax free and shit. Yeah. So you know. They're not, and you know, you already, they already know you're on the ship, so it doesn't really fucking matter at that point. By the way, there's a total wine and more in Copperfield, uh, Texas, or Copperfield, Houston, or whatever you want to call it. Um, how did we get to this topic? <laughs> Just because you're My, running out of, you, you need Kieran, you need Kieran. You need Kieran Light, man. <laughs> Anyways, oh, there we are. Okay. And we've, we and it. we've come back. And <laughs> we've <laughs> come back. Oh, Anyways, yeah. but. Now that we've gone through the drinks and my lame ass. <laughs> Anyways, let's go ahead and take us to the news desk. I've missed that. News of the day. <laughs> news of the day. In the year of our Lord. 2024 folks could you imagine he does this off of alcohol he is clean oh yeah this is natural the secret's out all right guys well there's some news that came out this week uh something some of the stuff is pretty significant like uh case in point star wars just announced that they're making a mandalorian and grogu buddy team up motion picture Oh, a full motion picture. A full motion picture. So there is an article that came out in regards to that. Basically, is that they're, they've decided to do a major shift in some of the stuff for Star Wars because they're moving from the TV to the big screen. Now, I don't know if this is their way of finishing the series because season three ended pretty much on a satisfying note where he fully adopted Grogu. Spoiler alert, he fully adopted Grogu and the Mandalorians have returned to Mandalore because they thought that they, it was unlivable. Yeah. You know, because of the, the scorched earth policy that the Empire did. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It's worth your time. Derek, did you watch season three? Of chance? course, yes. Okay. Great. It was amazing. I mean, it was a great season two was okay. It did good. It ended well, but season three, the way it ended was just like, wow. Like, it got better and better every episode. It was like, how the fuck are they going to end the show So and the season? But so, yeah, so it was basically there. They decided to go ahead and, you know, make a motion picture. And I think it's probably because, you know, the new season looks like it's kind of stalled. They haven't really moved forward with not with the storyline. I mean, because Filoni's got all this other stuff going on. He's got Ahsoka, which was great, too. He already greenlit season two on Ahsoka. You know, Favreau is doing this whole different things, but but they said they were gonna make a season four, but nothing's come out. Nothing they haven't announced anything else, but then they announced that now they're gonna be making this movie. Now, what that entails, is it gonna be like the X Files? Is it like a bridge between seasons? You know, because the X Files movie, the first one, was a bridge between two seasons. It was the I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you remember this, Elias. Do you remember I got to go back and rewatch. I have the X-Files on my rewatch list. Okay. So the movie came out, uh, I believe it was in uh, either 99 or 2000. I think it was 99. Yeah, it might have been 99. But, or 98. 
might have been 98. Anyways, that summer, when the season ended that, that, that year, that, that spring when the season ended, it was when Mulder had gotten essentially moved, removed from the X-Files. Like, he wasn't kicked out or suspended out of the FBI. He was just reassigned, and they got rid of that, that office. And then they reassigned Scully to something else. So they basically broke them up. That's how the season ended. And the movie was like them getting them back together again. Cool. So, and then they started the new season with that, you know, so like after the movie. So it was kind of like, it was a bridge between two seasons, which was a cool idea. I had never seen that happen. So it was kind of a little thing. I don't know if that's what this is going to be. Who knows? Um, that's my, that's just my guesstimation. I'm not, it's just whatever, but I would think that would be a cool thing, but who knows about Kevin, but, but, uh, John Favreau, sorry, John Favreau is directing it and Filoni is writing it. So it's going to keep the same tone. More than likely John Favreau is going to be probably co-direct co-writer too, because they both work hand in hand. I feel like I've never like I I'm I am aware and confident that Favreau does lots and lots of Star Wars stuff and understands Star Wars things, but I don't know that I've ever seen him talk about Star Wars, like in video, like himself speaking about it. He, he it I always see interviews. Oh, he talks about the technology. The technology he talks oh, about. Oh, okay, maybe remember that's when they talked about what's it called that thing? The um, oh, the volume. The volume. Remember, because he created the volume. I didn't know he built it. Well, he was he, it, it was his idea. It's a damn good idea. What's the volume? The v- Ooh. Um, oh, Derek could talk about this for hours, dude. I could. It's <laughs> uh okay, so they filmed the Mandalorian, the first season of Mandalorian in the volume. It's basically what they used to film the show. Yeah, so this essentially imagine that um yeah, that's a lot of the problems that exist whenever you're filming is you have to reproduce the right light for the synthetic background you're going to replace later. Okay. Um, and so like finding a way for light to naturally come from the angles and in the right colors as it should, and all the reflections off of all of the surfaces of all the actual things that are in camera, it's really hard to do. Um, and, a lot of time and, you have to use computers. Yeah. And it gets more and more expensive. It's kind of a losing game. And so with the volume, essentially what they did was they rigged up their cameras to be able to be tracked in a in a 3D space with computers so that they know exactly where the camera is in this defined space. They nice. point it at the subject and behind the subject is a, uh, almost like the outside of a donut. It's like a tubular kind of thing. Toroid. Um, yeah, sure. There you go. Um, and and that's, that's a screen behind them. And it, that screen is also showing the soon to be replaced background essentially. And so you have all of your walls look like your scenery projecting light on your subject without it, it's all in camera suddenly. Yeah. And because they know where the camera is physically, they can project sharper imaging where the camera has a focal range and dumber imaging that just emits the colors they need everywhere else, like to the left and right and behind. It's really cool, and it, really cool and technology. It's, and it's not just around them, it's above them too because it's mm-hmm. an enclosed space. So it's all around them, including above them. So they basically are creating the image of where the person is. So like if they're on the sand dunes of Tatooine, they essentially bring in sand on the floor 
so that they have the sound of them walking on sand and all that kind of stuff. But then around them, they project sand dunes and this the, the the terrain of Tatooine that is that they create with whatever. But not and then the sun, they put the two suns above them. So that way they have this the light and, and the whole thing all the while they're shoot all the reflections are shooting on their bodies and they can it can show the light. And so it was something that John Favreau basically he's not like he I would say, okay, I don't know if he created basically he I think he probably did. He probably had a hand in it because he need he he a lot of times directors like him, like they like everything you a lot you see with the CGI and with motion capture is basically uh, John Favreau and and um, what's his name? Filoni. Filoni, but also no, no. But I'm saying, but like a uh, Avatar, Cameron. James oh. Cameron. That's James Cameron. So James Cameron and and John Favreau basically are the guys who have done motion capture more than anybody, and they've progressed the motion capture technology more than anyone. John Favreau did it first with did it with did it with um did it, you know no, John Cameron did it big time with Avatar, and then. And then Dave, John Favreau progressed it further with like Jungle Book and with like Iron Man and with other shit like that. You know what I'm saying? Like he's, they've both kind of, they've both been kind of like the bleeding edge in regards to CGI and motion capture. Yeah. Didn't and so there's a lot of that in like Iron Man. Yeah, they did for like the Iron Man character. Like mm-hmm. he, he, his suit, ha- like a lot of his suit, like the chest plate and stuff like that was him. But then for the mask and stuff, they would just have the outside and then he had the dots for his face where it right. comes up. So, so like they do, they, they, they progressed the technology a lot while they were doing their thing. And then of course you had Steven Spielberg and, and, uh, fucking, um, Guillermo del Toro do it for, for Tintin, all that kind of shit. So it's just, you know, it's a big big thing. There's, there's a, there's a special episode I think Disney did on their gallery show Mm -hmm. about the volume. It's like maybe 45 minutes to an hour or something like that. Um, really, really incredible technology. It, it, I think it truly does give us a whole new potential when it comes to um, shooting things more practically than we have in the past. And there's been other movies that have shot already on the volume. I mean, it's not just Disney. It's just that Disney did it first for The Mandalorian. Like, Mandalorian was the first show shot on the volume. Yeah, it only makes sense everything. that they, they would turn that into a cash-making cow, start licensing oh, sure. that out and renting it out Hell or yeah. whatever. Hell yeah, um, so. yeah, man. That's uh, interesting. I'm interested to see what comes of this new movie. I don't really... I, I think it's easy for us to like The Mandalorian as a character because it was all fresh but in old skin. Mm-hmm. right very new stories being told we didn't need to see any characters that we'd ever heard of before and we were already hooked the way that it was kind of shrouded in mystery who our lead protagonist was right um i'll watch it um i, I think that uh there, there's a subject we'll get into here in a minute that i think uh stems pretty well into this but some of the issues with um trying to keep fans interested um or bring in new uh, viewers, Mandalorian, I think, really is one of the first ser- shows that I've seen ace that mix. Yeah, right. It's it's like- funny because <clears throat> I've I've always been a fan of Star Wars, but I've never dug in as deep as some of the other uh, Star Wars fans. 
Mm-hmm. And learning about the Clone Wars, the Clone Wars cartoon, and they actually mm-hmm. have like three or four episodes just discussing the Mandalorians. The Mandalorians, yeah, it's great. So a group of dads that I hung out with, they went in full nerd mode, and they were talking about when the Mandalorian first came out. And I was like, dude, how do you know all this information? Like, oh, in the Clone Wars cartoons, I had no clue. Yeah, so it's pretty yeah. cool how they've been able to rope it in from other creative uh, components in their library that I mean they could monetize. There's there's a whole thing with just the dark saber that's just out of control. Like, and a lot of that shit is just Filoni's created it because George Lucas didn't go as deep as Filoni has. Filoni's created most of that lore. Yeah, but the the beauty of what happened is at least it it happened one of two ways. Either Filoni genuinely is this person, or he genuinely knows how to give fans more of what I think they were seeking, um, and that is building more of this story following the original guidelines mm-hmm. and that's a oh. sin- versus trying to make a money grab which we know no. disney would have done if they'd given full reign to somebody in marketing for example yeah. right and, and not to say that they haven't turned star wars into a money-making machine oh, for sure right? it is but creating a series that doesn't immediately leave a bad taste in the mouth of the fans immediately gets you uh, uh, an, a, a, an inherent watcher, an inherent viewer, an inherent demographic that you don't really have to work too hard for, mm-hmm. but you have to work to keep them. And if you can keep them, they naturally were very vocal crowd, right? We yeah, the, this Ahsoka series was pretty damn good. People go, oh my it, god, right? It we was awesome. Same, we said the same thing about Mandalorian when it first came up because and I watched Kenobi. I watched and, Finally Kenobi. Kenobi was good too. Mandal, uh, what was the other one? Uh, Andor. That was an incredible Andor series. Was well done. Yeah, um, and the second the second season is about to come out, and it, it'll be the, the the last season because it's going to end right before. It's going to end, I guess, when he meets the girl, or when he's about to be meeting the girl from uh, in Rogue One. Yeah, that's going to end the beginning of Rogue One. Well, it's pretty cool. I've been able to walk that story back with such yeah. detail and but, focus. That prison breaks. That prison break episode. That, okay, oh, but here's um, okay. Look, we're gonna go into the sex, next topic I wanted to bring up because this is a perfect break. Yeah, you can. Okay. gotta go to Galaxy's Edge. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. Um, I saw an announcement uh, from uh, Marvel in the last like week or two. They oh, yeah. talked about Marvel Spotlight. Did you guys catch any of this stuff? No, mm-hmm. no. All right, so it's a new kind of label that they're gonna use for Marvel movies that are not necessarily part of the cinematic canon sequence oh they're doing like elseworlds like what dcu's doing kind of kind of yeah and and my first reaction was well like that's just what if series and that's really not i I don't i'm not going to give marvel another moment i'm I'm tired (laughs) liar 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 man it's liar i know this year this year's been a rough year i'll tell you that but here's the deal. So here's here's what happens. So, and I've talked about this in the past is that I don't want to have to have seen every single movie and have it fresh in my memory to be able to enjoy the next one. It it eliminates the people who have shit going on or live lives other than Marvel. And while I still live deep enough in the Star Wars world that I am so entrenched in it, they also haven't pumped out as much Star Wars content as they have on marvel in general granted it's a much more broad universe i would argue right but all of this to be said this marvel spotlight kind of studio is going to be tv series and occasionally movies apparently that are going to be focused around just their um kind of one-shot series the new 
new Echo show is based on Marvel Spotlight. I've seen Echo advertise. What's that about? So I've just seen the advertisement this week. She was she, a character. She was a Go character ahead. that um, she okay. She she's a superhero. She's uh, deaf, but she kicks ass. Basically, um, it, it's it's you know a, a, I think a probably a less outlandish version of Daredevil, right? Because cool. she can see, she can fight, she can do all these different things. She just can't hear, and that's really not all. Um, uh, it's a different, I think, um, disability to have, right? So yeah. all of this to be said, um, Echo is uh, essentially based on a woman who is deaf but can fight and handle herself, right? Um, she's, you know, like a Kill Bill kind of Uma Thurman kind of person. And that is really the extent of it. The big bad in this series is, um, gosh, what, is it Kingpin? Yeah, Kingpin. Um, who is just a mobster. And while he's a big dude and he's had some kind of crazy storylines in the comics, he's still just a mobster. So he's very normal. He is not galactic problem. He is city problem, right? Maybe country problem, right? Um, And so these these series under Marvel Spotlight will essentially be uh, less cohesive, more kind of freestanding. And they specifically mentioned that they wanted to be able to target people who didn't know the rest of the the shit that's going on in the cinematic universe, who awesome. weren't around for Iron Man or Thanos or all of the other big bads we've had over the years. You know, like there's shit that you would miss in the latest um, TV series that you wouldn't know unless you'd watched three different other TV series that were not at all related. Yeah. And so... That's fun. I don't mean to say it's a bad thing, but it causes a big barrier for people who come want to try something and don't have a clue and they feel like they're they're only getting half of the food they ordered because they can't taste the rest of it, right? Um, yeah, so this show, Echo, the character, the last time we saw her was on Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, Hawkeye she, series. She, I never uh, watched Hawkeye, so. So, okay. yeah. So it, the thing is, is that, Hawk, the Hawkeye series takes place after Endgame because, and then he's dealing with his because he's. In, but the Hawkeye series is based on, also more based on the the Hawk. This Hawkeye character is based on the most recent iteration of Hawkeye, which is actually deaf. Like he's deaf. Like he can't. He's basically got. He's basically got, like so deaf. He has hearing aids. He's legally deaf essentially. And, and they, so, only, they only briefly mention that in our yeah. current cinematic universe, and they certainly don't. They, they bring it, it up often. more. They bring it up more often on this new on on the Hawkeye series because he goes to see that Captain America, that Avengers uh, Broadway show that actually came out on Broadway, mm-hmm. and he halfway through the play he turns off his hearing aids. So he doesn't have to hear how horrible it is. <laughs> so I mean, they do play it up, but yeah, because of all the damage and all the stuff that's happened to him, he's basically lost his hearing. He's basically got no hearing left. He needs these hearing aids in his ear. Awesome. And so, but Echo shows up in the show because she's hired by Kingpin to get rid of him. So it's just this whole thing. But yeah, you don't have to watch this. You don't have to watch the Hawkeye show to know about Echo. That's the thing that this is going to be. That's why they released all the episodes in one night. Yeah, it's it's because it's just it's a it's a five episode show, and it's just going to so, release it, and that's it. So that that whole shift in Marvel Spotlight might be a bit of a gateway for folks to. Uh, be able to partake of the Marvel platter without necessarily having to eat the whole damn meal all the time. Yeah. Um, and and that 
kind of sounds just like what we were talking about with Star Wars, because you could start Andor having known nothing about anything else Star Wars related. And or just have an, you have a basic idea. And and frankly, I'm not even mad that they kind of kind of front they're kind of back ending you back into the Star Wars cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. Right. Start with this TV show because you've never heard of Star Wars before, but then you get to Rogue One, one of the yeah. very few but incredible oh, freestanding incredible. movies. Yes. Right. And it's and it's a freestanding movie. Right. So it's not tied to, to you don't need to know any other characters. You can just nope. show up. And it was a great movie from get go. Right. And so, you know, maybe that's part of the reason why Andor was no, and, I mean, that's definitely part of the reason, but Andor had a lot of other good shit. I mean, the, the writing the writing was spectacular. The acting was amazing. I mean, it was just every single part of that show they didn't was just... lean on the force. They didn't no, have to have a Jedi it's, swinging it's a lightsaber. A, it's a spy show. It's what oh, the fuck yeah. it was. It was a, it's a spy show. It's the beginning of the Rebel Alliance. That's exactly what it is. And also, the, the thing I noticed, you know, uh, the one thing I like about it is that they make everybody and they keep people on all the shows that showed up in the movies too like you have in oh, andor like you continuity have, between them all yeah yeah the continuity where you don't have to watch them all but then when you watch them and then you see these other people show up in the show you're like oh shit like in andor you have senator mon mothma yep. okay then Mon Mothma was, of course, played by someone else because it was back in 1975. Yeah, know, but the, the original... same person who was in Andor was also in Ahsoka. Was yes, also playing in... the same character. What was the other one? She was also in Rogue One. Yep, that's what it was. They brought That's when they brought this actress in to play that, her in Rogue One. And, and that kind of continuity also helps where people are trying to figure out what the hell's going on because they don't know anything about Star Wars. Because like, oh, it's actually the same actor? Yeah. Great. Yeah. Like I yeah. didn't have to guess. I didn't need yeah. to turn on the subtitles. Oh, I recognize her. Oh, I recognize that person. Yeah. Cause then you do what I do. Like, like did, where have I seen this person before? And you like, Oh shit. They were in Rogue One too. Oh, okay, cool. I need to watch that movie again and then watch it again. You know what I mean? So it's just like one of those things, dude. Well, and they had the, um, the same guy. Wasn't the guy from Andor. What was his name? The dealer, the antiques dealer. Who was like the secret? Oh, uh, um, oh my God! Shit, he's in. Oh, he's in. He's in the Marvel MCU. Like he plays the that Norwegian doctor that's like friends with Thor and shit like that. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Um, it is. It's the same guy who kind of got loose on rail. No, 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 no. I'll tell you right now, dude. He's he's like a famous like uh, like Norwegian actor. Stellan Skarsgård. There you go. Stellan Skarsgård. Yes, Stellan Skarsgård. <laughs> Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah, he's in. He's in uh, Andor. He plays that head of the Re- he's, he's, he he's, he's the head of the Rebel Pope? Alliance. Uh, no, he was not. He was not. I just remember all of the at that point, where they at that were, point he was um, dead because remember Ahsoka takes place after the fall of oh, the Empire. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That guy died in the beginning because he knew he wasn't going to survive. Well, they definitely um, they, they do a really good job with that continuity, and I think it makes it a lot easier for folks that don't live and breathe this stuff all the time, and ultimately. Mm-hmm appealing to a fan base is only good if it's growing. Otherwise you're, you know, yeah. appealing to only the diehards who yeah. you're going to have no matter if you fuck it up or not, you know, for real. Um, for real. But anyway, yeah. Marvel spotlight. I saw that and I was like, you know what, Marvel, maybe you're not terrible. You're like, I'm here <laughs> for that. Like I'm here for that. 
I, I'm going to wait for a good show that comes out from Marvel Spotlight, and I'll check it out. I mean, I, I've heard not good stuff about Echo. I know. I've heard. I've heard it's been. I heard it's been like. Ugh. I've heard like. I've heard like. I've heard like it's not that great, but stay with it because it gets better. I've also heard that it's like right there because it's got like a sixty-five percent on Rotten Tomatoes, some shit like that. Look, I was willing to start off with a show that was meh until it was good whenever I knew that it wasn't going to be continued. And that was Hawkeye. Yeah. Hawkeye started, it was a Christmas special basically. Yeah, right? <laughs> it was. And I knew that shit was not going to continue. And so I gave it all kinds of leeway and it ended up being really good. Totally like, worth I, it. I love the, the jumpsuit mafia. <laughs> There's there's a lot of good reasons to watch that series. Yeah, it's very comedic. It it, it, I love how they made it a lot less serious because it was only in a certain city, and you know him being able to just kind of keep it contained and not global. You know, some kind of gl- galactic issue. Oh, speaking of Hawkeye, remember I told you guys about the Marvels that they had mm-hmm. the, yep. the cutscene. Well, I forgot to tell you there was a second cutscene. I just remembered right now with Kate Bishop. Oh, really? Yeah, like Haley Steinfeld shows up in a second cutscene in the Marvels after all the credits, and they said at the end of it, you know, like because because they're trying to do uh, the next Avengers movie, and they're bringing in the next group as like to be like the young Avengers or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, as they inch ever closer to Secret Wars. Yeah, as they inch ever closer <sighs> to hopefully a way to to like I remember when I told you guys that I remember told you that they're gonna start using secret wars to basically kill off characters to cut off the fat which is better retiring them man yeah for real they already did it to captain america Uh, a couple times now all right you Um, got anything else i got i got i got a couple things but you got anything else yeah dude steamboat willie oh Uh, yes did you see okay oh explain it explain it explain it okay let me tell you steamboat willie the original um, publication of Mickey Mouse by Walt Disney back in the day um, has 1928 or 26 something like that something like 28 28 28 I think 28 they um, as you can imagine you know you've got copyright protections and and all these different things and so Disney has naturally withheld the copyright to their own creation that is Steamboat Willie. And if you haven't ever seen it, it's, you know, the Mickey Mouse where he's kind of dancing on a steamboat and whistling and so forth. It's often used in the intro sequences for different Disney uh, studios. That's it. That's the one. Don't. Oh, we can't get copyrights back. All right. <laughs> anyway. anyway, so here's the thing. Um, the copyright law has historically been uh, many different lengths over time, but almost always it's been extended by Disney lobbying and trying to change the law. And so this time, as it came ever closer to the terminating copyright ownership at 95 years old, um, Disney didn't lobby to extend that. They were prepared to relinquish control of Steamboat Willie in the public domain, which essentially means that anyone anywhere can do whatever they want with Steamboat Willie and can literally copy it. And it does not matter. It's the same kind of place where stories like Alice in Wonderland and Little Mermaid and all these old, you know, folk tales live. Steamboat Willie is now in in that lexicon, man. And so I was a little bit baffled by this when I heard about it. 
I didn't I didn't really understand why would would Disney, you know, finally I mean, I, I love that they're not, you know, spending money to change laws because that's kind of shitty for companies to do, but not that aside. Right. Um, you know, why wouldn't they? And it turns out that Disney has made several acquisitions that when you kind of tally them up, Mickey Mouse doesn't really matter so much um, to the bigger picture. So I'm going to go through a couple things. Um, Disney bought 20th Century Fox. They bought Spotlight Studios. They bought Lucasfilm. They bought Pixar. They bought Marvel, ESPN, Mm -hmm. and ABC. Yes. To mention uh, a stakehold in Hulu and likely in the near future, a full ownership of Hulu. That amounts to $114 billion. And do you ma- know how much Mickey Mouse accounts for? In addition to the 114 Less than a billion. No, no. I mean, Disney, Mickey Mouse is a valuable property. I mean, if you imagine all the different, you know, print and toys and all the, con- I mean, they still make cartoons out of it. They still feature him in all the new TV shows. But is this just Steamboat Willie? He's not, they're losing out on, right? Not that, not that the, there's different iterations not the, not of Mickey. New Mickey. It's well, there, yeah, there's been lots of iterations of Mickey over the years. They have, I think, differentiated from at least a few of them. And Steamboat Willie is the only one that they're losing. But Steamboat yeah. Willie specifically um, does not have a breakout for how much Mickey Mouse brings. But in general, Mickey Mouse brings an additional $15 billion. Billion? So $15 billion for, 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 so. for Mickey Mouse alone. And if we were to say, Let's just assume that there's 15 iterations of Mickey Mouse and that Steamboat Millie is one billion. But I mean, one billion out of 144. But are they really going to lose out on that money, though? Honestly, I don't see. I think that's the thing, because you have to keep in mind, this is not about Steamboat Millie. Today it is. But by not extending it now, you lose eventually every iteration of Mickey. It, it will get to that point. And the only way they've upheld this thus far is by always extending it for their most vulnerable they probably the probably the thing is is that the thing is that they probably didn't do that for Steamboat Willie for the simple fact that they probably they don't really do much with Steamboat Willie honestly they, they make they, they make do. toys and and you know there's a lot of concerns around as you can imagine you know like what does this do for our company image if somebody takes Steamboat Willie and makes something obscene <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> which they have <laughs> everyone and their mother knew that Steamboat Willie was entering the public domain. I think it was January 1st yeah. um, of 2024. And so the uh, moment that midnight struck around the world, there oh, was, there oh was, my God, and it, it flooded. Um, I saw several YouTube channels just upload unedited, unedited copies, just original, perfect grade copies of Steamboat Willie and monetize that and start making money. Like that, totally okay now. Public domain. Can't do anything about it. That's how it goes. It's the same thing with Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh, I think, has some things in public domain by now, right? Well, you no, know, yeah. Winnie the Pooh is in public domain because Disney didn't own Winnie the Pooh. Well, it's owned Winnie- by the it's owned by the A, the AA Milne estate. Well, I would argue, and I think that was the point of public domain, was that eventually things are beyond their creators and mm-hmm. can be accessible to all, regardless of any. Yeah. Of, um, so yeah, when 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 Winnie the Pooh hit the domain, hit the public domain, that's when that movie Winnie the Pooh, Bunny the Hunt, Blood and Honey came out. 
that horror and, movie. Yep, yep. And there have been, uh, as of this year, now that this Steamboat Willie, yes, someone released video game. Yeah, infested, infestation eighty eight. Is that? Uh, it's essentially just a horror gore kind of it's uh, like doom, first person right? thriller first person. kind of yeah. video game, um, kind of like Silent Hill used to be. Back yeah, in the and and uh, um, and uh, what's it called? Resident Evil. Yeah, survival, survival, survival horror. And uh, Steamboat Willie is uh, out to kill you, and he's <laughs> gruesome looking, and he's covered yes. in blood and all kinds of things. And yeah, yeah, it's definitely not your uh, grandma's Steamboat Willie that was in definitely not. And he's so, huge. He's like it, he's like huge. He's like six feet tall. It's, just it's a big shift. Like this going into public domain, I think I think is the start of a change that uh, ultimately I think will be good for Disney because um, one, I kind of disagree with what they were doing in the first place, and two, I expect them to quit doing fucking remakes and start making real shit that's new. And then they've got a good track record for doing some of that here lately, but they didn't do a whole lot of remakes and it was enough for me to still be pissed off. About <laughs> Bro, I mean, there was, did you, okay. So just so you, everyone knows, like I put something in our chat here, which is a video that came out right when the public domain, like right at midnight, right at midnight, 1201 on the East coast in uh, on adult swim. Right immediately at 12.01, before the next show popped up, they put out this video that just said, are you, did you see it, Derek? Okay, watch it right now. No, Keep me not. on mute. Watch it. I just put it in the chat. Just put I, it on. I laugh every time I look at it. It's amazing. It's literally Mickey fucking dry humping the side the words public domain bitch. That's all he's doing, and it's just and he's like he's like he's whistling the, the like the sound that that's coming out from the music is basically his voice, like making it seem like he's whistling it. It is absolutely hilarious. I saw it come up on my on my phone. I was like, this is not real, and then all of a sudden it gives you that it like every Adult Swim does that the little thing, and then it shows Adult Swim. I'm like, oh fuck me, they really did it. Okay, <laughs> I was like, oh my god. It is amazing, dude. Well, the thing is, if you think about it, I mean, how much other content out there didn't have enough funds to do this themselves? Oh, it's crazy. Now, mind you, I, I, I don't understand all the legalese around it. There, I'm sure there are specialists out there. There's actually a really good video that those folks I've mentioned before, Corridor Crew, did where one of their uh, employees there is a lawyer and he goes through the whole thing and explains it. But the big thing here is I don't know how, like we know that Steamboat Willie was under the Disney ownership for 95 years, but is it 95 years for all of the other things that we know about? Or do they have different timelines for different reasons? Or, you know, I guess that's, that's the part I'm not, I'm not really sharp on. Yeah. Th there's a lot of interesting history there. There's another character that was created by, by uh, Walt Disney and uh, Oob Iwerks. He was also co-creator of Steamboat Willie. Mm -hmm. But there was this one uh, character. It was called Oslo the Friendly Rabbit, I think. Yes. Oh, and yeah. I do remember years, that. that that property <laughs> was not owned by Disney. It was its own entity or owned by the iWorks um, family. Somehow got owned by a studio. And a couple of years ago, Disney actually acquired the character by trading, obviously, for some funds or monetary uh, amount. And also trading Al Michaels, 
who was at ESPN to this proprietor of Oslo to gain access to Oslo. So now you'll find Oslo <laughs> ears and Oslo merchandise at the park. Um, I have a feeling. I have a feeling it was too universal. Probably. Because if they traded Al Michaels, because he probably that's when he went to Sunday Night Football. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So it must have been. It must have been universal. Comcast. Comcast. Like and universal. Oslo, the, the friendly rabbit, Comcast. looks just like Steamboat Willie. He does. Just with longer ears. ears. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Holy shit. You know, I, I always, know. I always saw that character, but I didn't understand or know any kind of the relationship between him and Disney or Walt Disney in general. It but, was just it was another character just like they had uh, Mortimer the Mouse before Mickey. Yep. You know? I, I, I correct another... myself. Oswald the, the rabbit. Oswald the Oswald, Oswald. Oswald, Oswald the rabbit, yeah. And, yeah. and then you had Mortimer the Mouse, which was kind of like yeah. a he looked like more of a gangster than anything else. He was just he Yeah, he's still, they still have they, they have Mortimer though. Mortimer was um he's still in like all the new Disney shows because yeah. he always tries to steal Minnie from Mickey. Yeah, he does. He's he's a taller mouse. He's like taller. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, he's like that whole Cagney thing going. But I don't know, dude. I, I I I I'm interested to see how this all works out for the rest of Disney because I mean, I mean, they they're gonna have to, like you said, they're gonna have to start making more and more new shit, you know, to keep everything going. I feel like you know if, if we give it another, you know, maybe three or four months, maybe we'll start hearing about other things entering public domain. And, you know, if it's something that's only 20 years old, then we know that they've got different timelines. But if there's something that's also 95 years old, I don't know. I feel like this stuff ought to be entering the domain after, mm-hmm. what, 40 years, 30 years, something like that. Yeah. But, but we've changed far from that. Oh, I have some... close. Oh, yeah, she is close. You're right. And whether, I think, right? whether or not they decide and she's and that's, that's the question that you're asking, like, you know, will she be able to? Are they going to extend her? Can they extend her? Like, how long does she really have to do before she has the public domain? Who? Snow White. Snow White. Snow oh, White. Snow White, yeah. You know? Yeah, and a just a, a couple years after Snow White was Pinocchio. I think he was the second one. So, you know, Snow Which Pinocchio, that's based was, off a book, too. So, yeah, it's yeah, based pretty off a book. convoluted. And he would, I mean, and he honestly just, he just got licensing. Like, like most, a lot of characters, the, the iterations that he has of those characters are his iterations. Okay, they're loosely based enough where he didn't have to really pay royalties because they're fantasies. Yep. You know, the stuff that's been out there for hundreds of years. But you have things like Mary Poppins, which is actually written by somebody. And he had to ask her, like, you have the story behind Saving Mr. Banks, which is actually a pretty good movie. It was a really good movie. It was a very good movie. But he had to ask for her permission to make that. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't, he couldn't just do it on a whim because that's why he was, that's how he was doing all those fantasy stories because. Those were already out there. He didn't have to ask for permission, except for maybe Peter Pan, really. He had to ask. That was still owned by the Barry, the J.M. Barry estate. But, because they continue to make new stuff. So, Steamboat Willie was November 18th of 28. Okay. See. And so, 95 years would put him to now. Um, Snow White is 37. 37, okay. okay. So, that's nine more years we're going to wait before we know about Snow White. Yeah. Um, I remembered another character from the same era, uh, Betty Boop. I don't know if you guys ever talked about Oh, yeah. I, yes. I worked with yeah. growing up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, she's 1930. So yeah, a little closer on that one. We'll find out about 
you know. Yeah, because that's that's her uh, as a character. That's, that's Max. That's Max Fleischer. Yeah, that's 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 Max Fleischer. He did Betty Boop. He did Popeye. He did um, all those kinds of characters. Dude, I just did. I just read an article about Popeye today. You know, it's based on a real person. Yep. Oh no, I didn't know that. <laughs> it was based on a Polish military sailor that grew up that this the the artist grew up around Max Fleischer. Telling, yeah, Max Fleischer. And the guy was telling stories, and he looked a lot of the same um, gestures, the pipe, the eyes, the significant underbite or overbite. Um, even Olive was also an inspiration of a local lady that worked at a convenience store um, and became a cartoon. So that's, that's a whole other rabbit hole you can go down. <laughs> Max Fleischer is credited with doing Coco the Clown, which uh-huh. if you don't know who it is, you see a picture, you immediately recognize him. Yep. Real old school yep. black and white cartoon. Yep. Um, Betty Boop, Popeye, and... Felix the Cat. Superman. Oh, yes. Yes, the old school, the old school color cartoons of Superman. Yeah. With him, yeah. Oh, dude, I, it's funny. It's really funny. And I know we've gone on a super crazy tangent here, guys. But I don't know if you've sat down and actually watched the old Max Fleischer, Popeye, and Superman cartoons. But you watch those cartoons and you're like, holy shit. The animation is like crazy way ahead of its time. Really? Like the old Popeye cartoons that were in color. Watch the yeah. old Popeye cartoons that were in color. There's a weird 3D effect that they have on some of those cartoons. There's a scene of him walking through a cave. And and he's walking through the cave and he gets like these two lions that are guarding this doorway. But it's this 3D effect that he created specifically for the Popeye cartoons. They created it. And it's wild, dude. Because it's a cartoon. like, And it's color. So it's just strange to watch. And then you see the old Superman color cartoons, which they did as well. Which was just so high action, and it's just it's cr- and the lighting that they did for the show, and, and it's just it's crazy. The art was amazing, and you think, how the hell? And then you see Mick the way that Disney was drawing at that point those cartoons, which were cool, you know, the Mickey cartoons. But you see the difference between the Fleischer cartoons and the Disney cartoons, and you're just like, wow, this guy was way ahead of his time. I mean, he's probably just more skilled in a different style, you know? Yeah. Or, oh, yeah. Or, I mean. It's part of the reason why you see like these great teams, right? You got somebody mm-hmm. who's great at one thing, somebody's good at another thing, and together they are the duo, right? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Like, 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 uh, Phil Those two Lord directors and... we were talking about. Who were the two directors? The guys who did all the Marvel movies and then took a break. Oh, uh, the Russo brothers. Russo brothers. There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, those guys. Those guys are great, man. All right. Well, I have one story, and we're gonna end this on a high note before we okay. get to the movie because we do it. there's a lot to talk about with this movie. And uh, we may be here for a while, hopefully. Um, so recently came out that in Florida. Ah, come on, dude. Seriously? Come on. Hold on. So recently there was a girl who was rescued. Okay. Because of her World of Warcraft. What? Okay. All right. So what? the story, check this out. There was a girl who was missing from Ohio. Okay, she was missing from Ohio for a week. Okay, what happened? So this is what happened. Okay, and spare with me because these are all this is information that I know I've, I've gleaned from it. I read about it recently, but I haven't looked at it again in about a few days. But I thought it was a great story to talk about. So about a week ago, or a couple weeks ago, this girl was playing World of Warcraft, 
and she was talking to somebody. Of course, they all talk about talk to people on these MMO platforms. And um, this guy drove up from Florida. He's from Florida, everybody. God damn it. Fucking another Florida guy. Florida man. It's, all, it's, it's Sully's everybody from Florida, like myself and Elias. <laughs> it's just like, I don't understand it. But. We're not all like that, but there are a lot of us that are like there, that. And it's not just Florida. <laughs> it's not just, I mean, they're in every fucking state, but it's just Florida happens to be the state that comes out the most. I don't understand it, but we're like the Darwin Award capital of the world. Anyways, this guy drove up from Florida to meet this girl who she thought she was talking to someone else. Okay. She was actually meeting another teen. He drove up from Florida to meet her in Ohio. Eventually ended up kidnapping this girl. And drove her back down to Florida to his house. Jesus. And the town is called uh, Dunnelin, Florida. I don't know where that is. Elias or Derek. Find, Coast. No. Find out no. where Dunnelin is. Anyways, so apparently on January 3rd, okay, FBI agents who had been searching for her, of course, because it's kidnapping, so it's FBI immediately, noticed that her World of Warcraft IP address had begun her account had gone active. So what they did, because this guy talked to her on World of Warcraft, so he probably let her play. And like every other idiot Florida person, not just Florida people, but idiot Florida person. I'm making that distinction. There's quite a few okay. of them. Okay. He let her play her World of Warcraft account, which came became active because they were monitoring all her all her social media and everything that she was doing. So when okay. her account became active, they tracked his her IP address back to his house. Crazy, man. So when they did that, that when they came active, there were people were talking to her. They were talking to her and supposedly she was chatting with the people saying, help me over this account. And then they were able to go and get her out of the house and arrest the guy. Amazing. Way to go. So that's crazy, which is it's awesome. It's a good, it's a happy ending to a horrible situation for the girl, poor girl. But I was just like, that's, you know, it's just, once again, technology working in our favor. I think it's, it's, um, and I guess somebody who's a horrible person. <laughs> yeah. Man, this is always the argument that comes up. I'm not going to go into this, but I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad that we have a process for people to get, you know, legal approval to monitor things. Well, yeah, at that point, of course, they had her parents. <laughs> yes, sure please. They did. That is, that is a great use of that technology. For real. For real, dude. But all right. So uh, we've reached the um, refill portion of the episode. Um, so go ahead and uh, go see Man About a Dog. Go take a right piss. Uh, go shake the dew off the lily. And we will be back in a bit. 30 seconds for you. Probably 20 for us. 20 minutes. Later, everybody. Hey, 
back for the refill portion of the episode. Hope everybody got a nice cool drink. Did we change our drinks, fellas? No. Nope. Negative. Same thing. Just another one. Of course I didn't. He's a party pooper. Yes. Yeah, Does Michelle every- wear a belt and suspenders with her pants or no? No, no, no. I trust her. She trusts me. Very trustworthy. Wait, wait. We're not we're not we're not there yet. Not there. No. We're talk about- <laughs> Folks, you thought we forgot. We didn't. Golden we Globes. We got to talk about them. So yeah. So we're gonna do a quick little rundown of the Golden Globes. We're very happy to report that uh, Paul Giamatti won for his role in the Holdovers, which is a yep. good sign because this it. is we knew it. We thought it was great, and basically, you know, I'm not saying he's gonna win an Oscar, but this is usually an indication of whoever wins the Golden Globe is more than likely gonna win an Oscar. For their, for, you know, or they're at least going to get nominated because this is usually who gets nominated. They usually, for the movies, they split them up between musical or comedy and uh, drama. Mm-hmm. And so he won for best actor in a, in a in in a musical or comedy, which the holdovers was. And the person for the drama, I have to look for that one. Just give me one second. First actor in a musical or drama was Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer. So more than likely, you're going to see those two be the front runners for the Oscars. So that's going to be fun. So that's going to split a lot of people because you're going to see other people get nominated. More than, okay, So for like, let's look at the, 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 the musical or comedy, best actor in musical or comedy. You had um, Paul Giamatti. You had, oh, where the fuck is it? Uh, best actor in a musical or comedy. What the fuck is it? Come on, against uh, so against um oh did they not? Did they... Actor, no, come on, dude. Come I was on. just reading it. Oh, you're reading it? I, I was. It was gone. Yeah, hold on. That's what I'm saying. It's just like it, like I had it on my screen. That was totally out of. Here we go. Oh, no, it's TV. Fuck me. Jeffrey Wright from American Fiction, Matt Damon from Air, mm-hmm. Joaquin Phoenix from Bo is Afraid, mm-hmm. Timothy Chalamet from Wonka, and then Nicolas Cage from Dream Scenario. Okay, yeah, and so then you have, but then for the actor for the drama, you have Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer, you have Bradley Cooper in Maestro, Leonardo DiCaprio in Killers of the Flower Moon, Coleman Domingo in Rustin, Andrew Scott in All of the Strangers, and Barry Keegan in Saltburn. Now you're gonna have twelve people be nominated, five people be nominated, probably out of those twelve, you're not gonna see a lot of people probably be nominated for the musical or comedy, except for Paul Giamatti. So you're going to probably have him be nominated because it was a it's more of a dramatic comedy so he's going to do well with it. But you're going to he's going to be up against some heavy hitters because Bradley Cooper's definitely going to get nominated for an Oscar. Killian Murphy's definitely going to get nominated for an Oscar. Leonardo DiCaprio is going to get nominated for an Oscar and probably Barry Keegan. So you're probably going to see four, those four be nominated with Paul Giamatti. That's probably what's going to happen. Cuz Paul Giamatti is just a, a darling. You well, know, everybody I mean, loves him. The, he, he's very talented, and yep. he's clearly on a upward trajectory right now. So it's mm-hmm. easy to remember how much we love this character and lots of other shit that he's done. He's done yep. lots of other good things. Yep. Um, I I just think um, I, I'm glad to see these two people, um, both Divine Joy Randolph as well as uh, Paul Giamatti be recognized for how great that movie was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. And 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 you know what's funny is that like 
You're going to see that. And then like Robert Downey Jr. won for Oppenheimer in the yep. Best Supporting Actor. Supporting so actor. Yeah. he's probably, but because that doesn't get separated by musical or comedy, the Best Supporting Actor, he's probably going to be the winner. He's mm. probably going to win. I mean, he's going to be a shoe in essentially. Like, I mean, this is that, 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 this is his, this is his uh, award to lose, basically. The you know, makeup almost made him unrecognizable if you didn't really like stare at him. They did yeah. a really good job of aging him. Robert Downey. Oh, Jr. yeah, yeah, yeah. They did a good job. If you, if you look, I feel like if you're if you're an actor and you look at these awards, like this is another tick in the box, another thing you can put on your resume, another promotion, another pay raise for every film you do moving forward. This is just like payday for these folks, mm-hmm. like not in immediate, right? But yeah, this is like a promotion. Well, if you do if you do well, and you win an award, yeah, for sure, because now. Every time you go into a movie, you're going to have that with your name. Yeah. And I mean, studios will pay for it, not only because they know they're getting actual talent, but mm-hmm. um, they also you get to use that on the marketing. Right? Oh, yeah. Academy of Quilliam, blah, 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 blah. In this new film, yada, yada, yada. Academy, like right now with uh, The Brothers Soon on Netflix, you have mm. Academy Award winner Michelle Yeoh in the trailer. Yeah. You know? So it, it's, there's a whole mess of different things. And I mean... When it comes to, you know, not just that, I mean, there's also the directors because Christopher Nolan won for Oppenheimer. It's his mm. first award he's ever won. And he's done great motion pictures, but they've never been, you know, like, I guess you could say Oscar fodder type movies, really. Mm, yeah. You know, maybe. he's he's stuck mostly in genre, but he's tried to make grounded genre to a degree, but they're still genre. Like Inception's still a sci-fi flick. Interstellar is an extreme sci-fi flick, even though it's a great movie. And then, of course, you have the Batman films, you know, and Tenet is super sci-fi. Definitely not one of my favorites of his. But do you think that it that this is his first film that was warranted of that? that No, I mean, I think because I mean, you still have Dunkirk. Dunkirk was great. Yeah, there's lots of films that he's done really very great work on oh um memento was amazing memento, when i first saw it in the yeah. theaters when it's, i first saw that movie i was like this movie is fucking incredible maybe it's just a different uh like a different award when you get a golden globe as an individual versus when your film goes into you know some kind of uh what's that uh, criterion collection kind of thing like you get yeah. honored by that thing it's different than winning the award well you know this this motion picture i think was kind of like i think it was his most adult motion picture now he's made r-rated movies i mean we've seen um insomnia is another one of his movies with robin williams and al pacino robin williams and al pacino insomnia yeah so robin williams plays a serial killer and Al Pacino plays a cop going after him, and this takes place in Alaska during the uh, when it's like a, a thirty days of sunlight time of the year. Mm, yeah, yeah. Where the sun doesn't go down till like I don't know midnight or something, so people stay awake. It's only down for a few hours, and it comes back up, something like that. So that movie came out. I think it was after. Was it after? It's two thousand two. So it was right after Memento, I think. I think it was right after Memento. Um, I think he made. Um, was it after Memento? What came out before? 
Yeah, Memento was 2000. Yeah, then so we did Batman Begins after uh, no, Batman Begins was Yeah, so it was so Insomnia was before Batman Begins. And then you had Prestige after Batman Begins was in 06, 07, I think, which we did an episode of every month. So if you want to listen, go listen to our repertoire, our past episodes. We did an episode of The Prestige. That was a good um, one. That was a good one too. But I mean, it's like he's 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 done a lot more genre but he did insomnia which wasn't genre but you know it wasn't so much a big hit it was more of a kind of a middle of the road hit for him it was kind of a stepping stone for him to get into the larger motion pictures that he was making after that Hmm. so i mean so this was probably his most i guess you could say i don't want to say his most hollywood motion picture but i would gather to say it's his most like because he produced it, I say you could say his most. I, it's hard to say. He wanted to make this movie because he, he, I think he wrote it, or at least wrote partially wrote it. And he did the movie. You know, I th- I don't know how much the movie cost, but I know he's he he did a lot of cost cutting measures. Like he, I mean, he he built the whole city that it takes place Los Alamos that they did in the movie. He they actually built the whole city of Los mm-hmm. Alamos. Mm-hmm from the ground up for the motion picture. And he did it. And he shot the movie so quickly. He saved a ton of money because of that. And they didn't use a lot of, uh, visual effects. Like he, I think, I think this movie had the least amount of visual effects he's ever used in the last, like, like I think since Memento, I think it's the last amount of least amount of visual effects he's ever used. Like it's nuts. He used like maybe I think maybe like 170 or like I don't know how many shots of visual effects. Then like it's crazy. Like he, he saved a ton of money in this motion picture. But I mean, he must have had kind of this vision already. Oh yeah, know, as to exactly sure. what sure. what he was looking for, you know. But yeah, and then okay, but but just moving on because we got to go through this quick and get into the movie because the movie is is worth it. Um, you had you know what's it called. The other people that won, you had um, Elizabeth Debicki won for The Crown. You had, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, what's the name? Matthew McFadden won for Succession. He was the uh, brother-in-law. You had uh, Jeremy Allen White won for The Bear. He he played The Bear in The Bear. Yeah, and The he, Bear got the award for the best new series. Yeah, and he won for The Bear, and so did, uh, what's her name? The the sous chef, Ayoa Dabiri. She won. For best mm-hmm. performance by an actress in a television series, musical, or comedy, so she won for her role. The best animated, oh, in the Heron. Derek, I was gonna say Derek. There you go, dude. Anime getting his due. Yep, and I mean so, it's it's kind of a shoe in, right? Well, I mean it was going up against Spider Man, so who knows how how it goes for the Oscars? No way, dude. You kidding? I me. haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Spider Man was amazing. No, Marvel period. No, no chance. No Spider Man across the universe. Spider Verse, dude. That movie was. Dude, that movie was amazing. I have to, I I have to watch Boy in the Heron just to make sure. That's what I'm saying. It's the the. I don't doubt that it is incredible. I don't have doubt seen that it? it's probably uh, uh, the Across the Spider Verse. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I have. I'm, they're all kind of running together, man. I don't remember. Mm, I don't think so. If you if you if you by saying that, I don't think you have. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. I thought I, I think did. This might be exhaustion. Also, dude, don't <laughs> tell me, don't even tell me, folks that are parents, you know what I'm talking about. Oy, so, but, yeah, but so, yeah, so Boy in the Heron, I was glad to see that. I was glad to see, um, I, I'm happy that, um, the bear was the best musical, musical or comedy TV series. However, yeah. it's just wrong. 
Ted Lasso was a better show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, dude. I, I, don't think think, it, I love Ted. I think they're both honestly at the same level. I'm happy. I would have been happy with either one. I'm telling you, there is no way in hell. Mm, I don't <laughs> Mind know. Mind you, buddy. I've never watched the bear. <laughs> You've never seen the bear? I never watched it. Oh, I know you guys have been streaming. I haven't seen it either. On Hulu. It's on Hulu. Watch it, dude. Every episode's like 30, 40 minutes tops. They're so good. They're so good. It's an amazing show. And they already announced season three, and I'm so here for it, dude. So here for it. It's the it's the best show on TV. I mean, other than Ted yeah, Lasso, Ted Lasso's over. Ted Lasso's over. Oh, so no, they were both the good. It was, it was amazing, dude. It's amazing. Okay, so I found uh, 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 what's it? Oh yeah, you you already said it. You said all the name. Yeah. So, but yeah. So as far as best motion picture, uh, we'll just end with this. Um, best musical or comedy motion picture was Poor Things with Emma Stone, mm-hmm. uh, and for the best motion picture drama, of course, was Oppenheimer. So there you go. But anyways, so that was the Golden Globes. And uh, let's get down to the nitty gritty, everybody. Okay, we're going to talk about the Western, I mean, epic, considered one of the greatest motion pictures of all time. It's on that list. It's also considered by some people, including myself, I have to say myself, probably the best Western I've ever seen. Even though it takes place in the 60s, even though it got filmed in the 60s, I just think it's just amazing in every way and fashion. And and for it being almost three hours long, I dear God, it was it was long, but it was I think it was worth every minute of it. I was once, okay with it. Once you figured out what was going on two hours into the movie, and then they finally gave it away, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's unbelievable. It was, it was, we're not gonna get into this yet. Okay, right, okay, right. okay. But, 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 but. All right. This motion picture. I'll go ahead and get into it then. Here, uh, it was directed by the great Sergio Leone. Uh, writers were Sergio Donati, Sergio Leone, and Dario Argento. Okay. So, if those of you who are cinephiles know who Dario Argento is, he is the great horror. Italian horror director, okay? He he was the one who originally directed the movie Suspiria, okay? His daughter is Asia Argento, who is an Italian actress who has done stuff here in the States, but she also directs motion pictures as well. She does a lot of horror also. I forgot what the Italian horror movie genre is called, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, he is like a king. It's called Giallo. That's what it's called. Giallo for the horror movie. Okay. Uh, so he directed a ton of movies and he's famous, okay, for those types of motion pictures. So, but there is also somebody who gets story credit with Dario Argento in this movie. And that's the great Bernardo Bertolucci, which if those of you have don't know who Bernardo Bertolucci is, he... Is the great uh, the great director of the motion picture The Last Emperor? Oh wow! Yeah, so him, Dario Argento, and Sergio Leone wrote the original screenplay for this motion picture. Just getting into this real, real quick, and the original screenplay was over four hundred pages long. Jeez. I believe it. Four hundred pages, and of course, the studio was like, "You need to cut back." Yeah, we're not Come doing back. another Count of Monte Cristo, folks. <laughs> Cut back, folks. Cut back. But whatever. Then they did, and they made it in this motion picture. But 
All right, so it stars amazing people. Henry Fonda, Charles Bronson, Claudia Cardinale, Jason Robards, and then a host of other people. Jack Elam, Woody Strode. There's also Lionel Stander, which we've seen him. He's the barman, and he's been in other stuff too. He's a, he's a great character actor from the 70s, 80s, and 60s. Uh, there's, I mean, and then everyone else are people that have starred in other spaghetti westerns. They've been, they're like Sergio Leone people that he puts in the movies, and and other movies like Carbucci is another famous spaghetti western director. And there's other guys, you know, they they've shown in other movies. But so the motion picture synopsis is this: <laughs> brain freeze, brain freeze, because there's so much to talk. Okay. The motion picture synopsis that they have in IMDb is this, and it's so short, such a short synopsis. A mysterious stranger with a harmonica joins forces with a notorious desperado to protect a beautiful widow from a ruthless assassin working for the railroad. Now, let's understand this synopsis for one moment, because we don't even know that's happening. <laughs> Until, like you said, like an hour and a half, almost two hours into the picture, we're like, oh, they're, they're fucking teaming up. Okay. All right. Like, I, I counted. It was like 50 minutes until we actually knew where this woman was headed. Yeah. That it was at all related to anything else. Because, like, the, the, the family dies in like 10 minutes. All right, so let's go ahead and you guys talk about your opinion of the movie first, and then we'll get into the actual movie. Okay. okay. Who wants to go first? Who wants to go first? I'll let Derek go. All right. So here's I'm going to mute myself so I can stay quiet because I know I'm going to get pissed. I understand that the nature of this type of movie is somehow um, very dependent on the reality that there's a lot of cameras that are just long stares and scenic sweeping, you know, camera motions and a lot of un- nonverbal. It's all nonverbal. It's, it's lots of, you know, posturing and all these different things. And the only way to convey the weight of somebody in the room and blah, 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 because there's nobody's moving, nobody's talking. He's just standing there. This is, uh, man, every scene takes four times longer than it should. And it's, it's not bad. It's, it's a, it's a classic kind of Western. This isn't like the first film to be like this. Many of these old Westerns were just like this. Um, And so from that same perspective, if we consider it as like a, an old Western, um, it's really not all that bad. It's, it's long it's got a good kind of story in there. There's, there's some decent character building. There's a good amount of mystery here and there. There's definitely some tropes that are kind of cringeworthy, but beyond that, eh, why not? It's fine. That's what I think. Elias, what are you at? Elias, what's got? I, I, well, first off, I thought the cinematography was like beautiful. I, I think we had said this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about leading up to doing this review. I was kind of shocked. A lot of the, the, the shooting happened in Spain. Did you know that? That kind of blew my mind. I didn't know Spain had that kind of um, that scenery. scenery. Well, that's, that's yeah, that's the whole thing with Spaghetti Westerns. That's That was the whole point of them calling Spaghetti Westerns because it was they wanted to shoot somewhere that looked like the old school Westerns 
of the day. But go forward and I'll explain yeah. more. No, no, and, and confession, you know, we've been using, or you had been using that uh, spaghetti Western term for a while. I never knew that it was in its literal sense, a movie directed by an Italian, AKA, Hey, the capital of all good pasta. And that's why they called it a spaghetti Western. I, I just, growing up as a kid, I, I never really paid attention or dug into it. But um, again, like Derek kind of alluded to some of the scenes did play out a little bit longer, built up that drama, that, that tension, one of my favorite scenes actually happened towards the very end when um, Peter Fonda's character is walking through the train and at a distance, you've got all the bodies of the dead men and the camera is just rolling uh, with him. Henry, Henry Fonda, Henry Henry Fonda, Peter's Peter's a son, Peter's a son. As he's walking through each one of the cabooses, I thought that was a really cool shot. But yeah, again, a lot of tropey stuff, uh, very cliche things. I'm still trying to figure out why people shoot the revolvers from the hip and if they could have that kind of accuracy consistently. Um, <laughs> it's almost like the equivalent of watching like a gangster rap movie where people hold their guns sideways, right? Like, dude, you're not going to shoot accurately like that. I'm sure they don't shoot accurately from the hip um, like Charles Bronson did or the harmonica. Um, but overall, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it. Again, it's, it's a timepiece. It's a relic. And a little bit of the deep dive that I did do it was essentially an inspiration of a number of different Westerns that got pulled together. So that's where you've got a lot of that deep Western feel. There was a lot of inspiration that was pulled from different movies, um, famous ones at the time. So really interesting. And then the the dubbing, I didn't realize that. I thought it was just the recording that we were watching, but Mm -hmm. all the voices were dubbed over. And um, the leading actress, Jill, she's Tunisian. And there was a lady that did her voice. So the actress just did the lip talking. But I, again, I, I was kind of fascinated by that. So, but I enjoy that kind of stuff. So that's something that you saw. Okay. So going back to what you said about spaghetti westerns, and then we'll go ahead and get in the motion picture. But what did, what, what did you think of the movie? Like, was it just an, an average understanding of the movie as far as? No, I, I guess, again, I got to put myself in the time, right? Like, right now, we live in an instant gratification. Like, I need to know what's going on. I need to know who this person is. There was a lot of mystery. It's a slow burn. Yeah, it's a slow, slow burn. burn. I just didn't know what the hell was going on. You're, you're being introduced to the characters, but you're like, man, come on. What's going on? What's the story? What's going on? What do you mean she just got married? Um, for the time that it was made, I can totally relate to how it was made um, and and how it was delivered. I could see why it was well-received and not well-received at the same time. I was looking uh, Ebert. Um, gave it some terrible reviews, like a 2.5, but then you see this movie ended up as one of the top 100 films ever made, so it's like a drastic contrast, right? Yeah. But again, for considering the timepiece, the themes, being a Western, I I really enjoyed it. Can it hold up to something like There Will Be Blood or 310 to Yuma, the current remake? Probably not, but again, as a timepiece, yes. Awesome. So yeah, so as far as, uh, if anyone doesn't know, I'm going to go ahead and explain what a Spaghetti Western is apparently. So Spaghetti Westerns came about in the 60s. They started in the 60s, mid-60s, like like, so, like famous Spaghetti Westerns like we all know, this is one of them. But of course you have the uh, A Few Dollars More trilogy, the Dollars trilogies, which is, um, what's it called? The Fistful of Dollars for A Few Dollars More and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which were all directed by Sergio Leone. He directed all three of those motion pictures. So 
that's when they started getting into more effect because you had actors from the States that were known Western actors, had been either on TV shows, like Clint Eastwood had been on a TV show called Rawhide, but they couldn't find work because they didn't want to do that stuff or they just couldn't find work. So their agents, like you saw in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, agents would come and say, hey, look, I have work for you, but you got to go work in Italy or Spain and do these Westerns. And they're like, oh, I don't want to fucking do Westerns again. I did them on TV. It's like, well, are you getting anything now? Are you working now? This is a job. It's a, it's a yeah. four or five picture deal. You're going to get paid. It's three years of your life and you're going to get paid. Do you want to or not? And so, and you live in Europe for three years or whatever it is. You know what I mean? That's what they were. And they're basically American Western films type films directed by Italians and filmed in Spain. So that's where they came the title of Spaghetti Westerns because they're Italian directors filmed in Spain with American actors. Now, the dubbing part of it, every single Spaghetti Western has it. Clint Eastwood is the only one talking English in his movies. The only one. Unless you know the other actor is American, he's the only one talking English. They're either talking in Spanish or Italian. So And they get redubbed in English. So when, when the Spanish actor is acting, are they just moving their lips, emulating an English response or what? Sometimes they're talking in their language the line. God, man. And the actor has to know that that's their line, and they have to no. know that's the line in Spanish. And they have to respond. Fascinating. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's funny because, so there's, um, I think, yeah, there's a movie called, uh, oh, it came out a couple years ago. I think it was called Drive My Car. Remember that movie? Hmm. I it feel like out, I remember that. Yeah, and it, it got a lot of good reviews. It was nominated for Best Picture. I think it actually won for Best Foreign Film, but it, it was nominated for Best Picture also. Um, and uh, and uh, the protagonist in that movie is a stage actor. But the, it's a crazy thing, and it's something that I didn't know exa- actually existed. You have multiple people of multiple nationalities doing the same drama, but in their native language. And they have a screen that has the different languages subtitled. So you have American, the English, sorry, English, American, English, whatever, talking their specific lines to someone who's Japanese, talking their specific lines to someone who's Spanish, talking their specific line in this drama stage play. And then you have the subtitles above it for those lines so you can follow along what's happening. And they're acting off each other like as if they know what they're saying. I mean, that's a really cool idea, but damn, that sounds like a lot of fucking work. Oh, I'm yeah. sure it was, you know, but, but I mean, that's what's happening in these movies. You have these actors that are American, like Charles Bronson, Jason Robards, uh, Clint Eastwood. Uh, you had Lee Van Cleef in Good, Van the Ugly. You had uh, fucking Eli, um, whatever, the other guy in The Good, Bad, the Ugly. Two, the, three, the three people in The Good, Bad, the Ugly, they're American. And mm-hmm. they went to go make the movies. Lee Van Cleef had made a ton of spaghetti westerns already at that point, you know. And he's he's famous because he, he's missing a pinky. You know, he's the man in black. He's like the whole movie. He's missing part of his pinky. He's missing part of his finger. But you know, that's what you had with these spaghetti westerns. So so one of the things that you know was really cool, and we'll get into the movie in a minute, is that with these spaghetti westerns, like you said, especially with this movie. I mean, you have all these 
things that you see, these massive vistas. You you have these massive, like, just views. But the funny thing with this movie is, is which you noticed in the motion picture, is that this is the first Spaghetti Western that was had portions of the movie actually shot in the States. Yeah, I was going to say, because some of those scenes seem very like western here the fuck was that (laughs) that okay (laughs) anyways no because you're right so there's the scene some of the scenes where you see all those red that red dirt and those those big canyons that's monument valley and that's where john ford shot eight of his movies in monument valley and sergio leone loved john ford and those were and he shot that because he loved the searchers which we all know has a uh, it's kind of a crazy movie because of the time you know it's hyper racist motion picture yeah that's exactly what it is (laughs) gorgeous movie fucking gorgeous motion picture i mean it is the favorite of Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, Francis Ford Coppola, Brian De Palma. That's one of their favorite motion pictures. But let's not step away from the fact that it is a extremely racist motion picture. I mean, Natalie Wood in brownface as an Indian and John Wayne completely talking shit about Native Americans. I mean, it's an extremely racist motion picture. Great film, great motion picture, but definitely a product of its time. This this movie, Once Upon a Time in the West, um, certainly yeah, uh, toned down. <laughs> um, still, lots of bullshit, you know. But still, yeah. a lot of yeah, it's definitely got those things. So let's go into the motion picture. All right. So the motion picture starts off once again. Great shots. I mean, it's shot beautifully. I mean, you can't say you can't deny that it's not shot beautifully. I mean, For the sure. angles. The camera angles, the sh- the way the lighting used, sun, the shots, whether you know, it's great. And the first scene is where we meet Harmonica Man, and he gets off the train. But now, talking about before we talk about Harmonica, we got to talk about the three guys that were waiting for him, and the three guys that were waiting for him. Two of them we know. So Jack Elam is a is is a guy that was in the motion picture, and he actually was the one who um he actually survived. He was not he was not the one that died. But there's another actor that actually was shot, did shoot some scene in that movie. Now Jack Elam was actually the guy who was in the movie. But there's a guy named Al Mulock who was supposed to be in the motion picture and he actually shot a scene one day of shooting and then that day he went back to the hotel and jumped out his window. Oh gosh, I thought you were gonna say like there was an accident on set. No, 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 no. He did, he jumped out of his window at his hotel after a day's shooting. He was in the movie and then he jumped out his window. And then when they were taking him, Sergio Leone and other people were taking him to the hospital. And on the way to the hospital, they didn't want to lose the costume. So (laughs) God no. So they told him, take the costume, get the costume, we need the costume. <laughs> you know, so he, he they, they took the costume off his body when they, when they dropped him off at the, the hospital. <laughs> so, Jeez. so, you know, it's eh. as a director, you got to do shit. 
but yeah, so so you know, but Jack Jack Elam, and then of course Woody Strode, who was the African American guy in that first scene, he is the yeah. he is in The Shining. He plays um, the uh, I think he plays the uh, is it the guy? He plays uh, the the guy who who teaches the kid about The Shining. I think he does. Does he? Yes, I think it's him. Maybe not. I'm, maybe I'm confusing with him. Now I'm confusing with someone else. Anyways, never mind. Scratch that. But yeah, he does. A, he did a lot of stuff. He's a good character. He's a, he's he's a character. Oh, he was in Spartacus. That's right. He was in Spartacus. He played Drava in Spartacus. If you've seen Spartacus, he was that guy. So he was he, the other he gladiator. Was the, the drunk guy on Cannonball. Yep, he was a drunk guy in Cannonball. He was the <laughs> he was the king of Ethiopia in the Ten Commandments. He was in the Man Who Shot Liberty Valley. I mean, he's done a lot of movies and a lot of TV shows. So he's a great character actor as well. But I mean, you have people like you know, and then he they get and they they shoot, you see these guys who are famous character actors, and they're literally there in the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie, and they die, and you're just like, oh shit, because they meet Harmonica. And he's waiting for Frank, who's played by Henry Fonda, who's the leader of this gang. And he kills all three of them. And he gets shot in the process, but he kills all three of them. They all die. It, so it's, it's definitely a scene, right? We've got this long, drawn-out sequence of these oh, no. three goons that are sitting there. And all of a sudden, there's a standoff between these three goons and our new guy. Mm-hmm. Nobody says nothing, really. And then the three gathered. And yeah, and that's the setting of the scene. There it is. And the Criterion Collection box, they don't, I think it's out of it's out of issue right now. I don't think they sell it anymore. It's out of print. But the Criterion Collection box of Once Upon a Time in the West is the shot that you see of all three dudes and harmonica in the in the background. That's the actual box image. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, it's, it's a, it, I mean, that's one, this scene, this movie has a lot of scenes that are like motion picture, like greatest scenes of all time. Yeah. The cinematography is really great. Really great on this film. There's the, some of not, not only the scenery, but how well it was shot, how yeah. they move the camera through the space, how they um, frame everything up and mm-hmm. kind of draw your eye to certain things. I yeah. mean, it was all done, turned done really, really well. So yeah. And then we have that scene end. After he killed everybody and he stands up, puts the because he gun, gets shot, which, he gets shot. But the funny thing is, that he he pulled the gun out of the handle of his suitcase, like he didn't, he doesn't even have a holster. This dude is walking around shooting people and he doesn't even have a holster for his gun. I mean, it's literally just either in his back belt or in his front belt or in the pocket of his jacket. I mean, he's not even holding holstering it in any way. But like, in his mind, he's like, I'm not working yet, yeah, exactly. But so. When he, when 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 that scene's over, then we go to the McBain farm, okay, which is another scene considered to be one of the greatest scenes of all time because of the aspect of Henry Fonda. Okay, so if people don't know who Henry Fonda is, please look him up. Henry Fonda is a Hollywood legend, a Hollywood darling. I mean, the family is considered a Hollywood like legendary family, like the Barrymores. Fondas are known for the good things. Barrymore's are known for the bad things. <laughs> so they, you know, but that's still 
It's still, it's still Hollywood royalty. The Fondas are Hollywood royalty. The Barrymores are Hollywood royalties. The Coppolas are Hollywood royalty. You know, those things are there. But for the for Henry Fonda, his big thing was that, you know, for this motion picture, he wanted to play the villain. He wanted to be the bad guy because he was always cast as the goody tissues, the good guy, the man in the white hat. He wanted to play something different. And I think this is the only villain he's ever played. I think this is one of those movies where he played the bad guy. I mean, I mean, do you agree with me, Elias? I mean, he was absolutely vicious in this movie. He's an asshole. It was, and, and it took, it, I think it didn't take Sergio Leone a while to sell him on it, right? Initially, he turned it down, but once he kind of read a brief overview, he was sold. He was sold. He was sold on it. And I mean, that was me. I'm sorry. He was sold on it, and he was sold on the extra motion picture. So he, uh, he, he, he actually originally turned down the role. So he actually turned down the role originally, and uh, he he didn't know he didn't know if he wanted to be in that because he he'd only been casting good guys, so he didn't know if he wanted to be a bad guy. You know what I mean? You know, you know, he had played bad guy once, but he'd never been like the bad guy, and and he didn't like the aspect of shooting a kid, where that's what you see him do in this motion picture. I mean, he he. You don't see him shoot the kid, but you know he shot the kid. You know, you you don't see him shoot the kid, but you know he shot the kid. So you know it's it's one of those things where he's just like you know you have to you know it was it was a he was real torn about the motion picture. So yeah, so the story goes is that Henry Fonda actually turned down the role, but then Sergio Leone actually flew out to the states and met with Henry Fonda, and he told him why he wanted. He goes, picture this. Camera shows a gunman from the waist down pulling his gun and shooting a running child. Camera pans up to the gunman's face, and it's Henry Fonda. Until then, he was only doing that for one exception. But, I mean, it's 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 not how it goes, actually. They changed it, but it's basically what he did. Because it's when you him. see him... It sold him, but when you see him walk up, you know, and also... When he showed up to set after he went to, he actually showed up with brown contacts. Oh, he showed up with brown contacts because he thought it would that. be better, you know, for him to be in brown contacts. And so he's like, "What the fuck are you doing? No, I want your blue eyes." Yeah, he's like, "Oh, but you know, people like my blue eyes, and they think it looks." He's like, "No, I want them to be blue because I want them to see steely." Blue eyes that have no emotion for yeah. what's about to occur. That you are just evil. You, you know, and, and you have no care that you're doing this. This this means nothing to you. And so when he did the role and he shows up and he play and he plays Frank in that one scene where they literally kill the entire McBain family. You know, and they kill the they kill the daughter first. Brett McBain starts running for his gun. He gets shot. He gets shot. Um, and so he gets shot, Brett McBain. Then the oldest son, 
who tries to make a break for it. He gets shot before he goes on the out of the coach, the stagecoach. Okay. Then Frank walks up. Everybody walks into the Brett McBain farm, and the music is amazing, by the way. Ennio Morricone, which, by the way, I forgot to announce it. This movie's composed. The comp, the 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 music is composed and, and written by Ennio Morricone. If you've ever heard his music, he's out of control. He's, his music's are great. Like he did the, I think he did the entire Dollars trilogy. He did this movie. He did The Untouchables. He did uh, Once Upon a Time in America. I mean, he's done. He's done so many movies. He's like the Italian aspect of fucking John Williams John and Williams. fucking Leonard Bernstein or Elmer and uh, uh, you know fucking those guys everybody I mean he's he's that he's that guy like as far as music in the movies so, Tomas you, you had mentioned that you had watched a behind the scenes video right I watched some Brief of one. one yeah briefly did, briefly did they show I, I anything finish. about the rigging you know I'm, I'm curious because some of the thinking about technology at the time the elements the size of some of the cameras at, at the time I wonder what the rigging was like to get some of those shots, you know, like on the floor. So stable. I mean, most of those were on tracks. A lot of them were, you know, stable cameras that were on tracks or cranes. Those old school, like uh, little carts. Yeah. Carts, right? Carts. Yeah. So it's, and like probably like on the train tracks, they actually had probably like a cart on a train track. So, you know, so they, they, they did that. And then you had like, and you had different little – and back then you had also – well, they hadn't invented it yet. But you had movies. They, they had them on cars. They had them on wagons. They did all that kind of stuff. So it was there. They did it. And they also had stationary cameras as well. So it was all over. The, it, was, it was all aspects. So they, they had the technology to do it. Cool. They had the technology to do it. I mean they've had, they've had cameras on carts and tracks since the silent era. I mean, so, unfortunately, because this is a Western, it's it's got these wide open scenes, mm-hmm. right? Where you're not defined by like, like you're not trying to fit inside like this compartment of no. a vehicle, right? That no. that gets difficult with full size camera rigs, right? But yeah. here they're able to have the camera, I mean, right up on people's faces as much as they want, or on the other side of the room, and it's still plenty of room for them to get that done. Exactly. It was only a little bit defining whenever we saw that episode, that part where. Cheyenne comes in with his cuffs and they're in that little kind of Oh yeah, room, I like right? that. That little yeah, that little bar. Oh, but but we didn't get to see it. But then we're talking about um I know if you guys don't know Derek, I had to walk away because there's something was happening over there. But we uh we had to see there was when Frank walks up and you see Henry Fonda, you know, because you don't know it's you don't see him. When he walks up, and then you see Henry Fonda there with his blue eyes, these cold, like emotionless blue eyes. Like I got chills because I've I've seen the movie a few times, and I get chills every time I see it. Even in like when it, the scene they show in a, in a TV show, I'm always like, "That's fucking unreal!" Like it's amazing, cold. Cold. cold, ice cold. Like I mean, you get you're just like this dude, and he did a great job acting because you feel the. The lack of emotion and lack of empathy that this character has for this family that he just killed in actual cold blood, we find out why, and it's there's no is no emotion other than money that it's there for, and and then you see this kid he smirks, he smirks just before he shoots the kid. Yeah, and the only reason why he shot the kid is because one of these idiots that are part of his gang actually said his name, because he says, "So what are we gonna do with him, Frank?" He's like, "Well." There's only one thing we can do now that you said my name. <laughs> and then yeah. he just looks at the kid 
and he shoots him. Granted, you don't see the kid get shot, but you know he shot him because he pulled the gun and shot. And then it cuts away. And then eventually we see. And then we see the kid's dead. You know? But that whole scene is unbelievable with the music, the way it's shot. Incredible. One Another one of the greatest scenes. This movie has two of the greatest scenes of all time just in the first 30 minutes of the motion picture. You know? Which is wild to think. You know? But, you know, so it's just... Then, then we know. Then we meet Clardy Cardinal's character, Jill, who she's another. She's gorgeous, gorgeous woman. I mean, just fab, fantastic. I didn't even know she was Tunisian. That's a new one for me. I thought she was Italian. She's probably as Italian, but she's from Tunisia. Tun- I don't know. Definitely says that she's from Tunisia. Looks okay. Like, yeah, she was like the most beautiful woman of Tunisia in like 1956 or something, and that's oh, kind of wow. like what skyrocketed her into. Uh, wow. That's crazy. But she's got a lot of work under her belt. She's oh, no, yeah. Stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She did a lot of stuff. By the decade, I started looking, you know, you go down that rabbit hole of reading about people, and she's done something in every decade since the 50s. Yeah, she's still alive. Oh, yeah, she's still alive. Oh, crazy. But, yeah, no, she's, she's. I mean, she's, I think she's Italian, of Italian descent, and she's, I think she knows Italian, too, because she's done a lot of movies in Italy still, and she does French, because Tunisia is a, I think it was a French colony also. So I think she does French movies too. So, okay. I didn't even realize that she was uh, lip syncing the whole time. Well, no, no. she uh, she She's talking in English, but they dubbed over her voice, he's saying. Yep. They dubbed oh, over her voice. Okay, that makes sense. So they dubbed over her voice, but that's not, you know, it's not the first time that's happened too. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that act like that. But yeah, she dubbed over her voice. But then but she I mean, like, shows up. You know up. how old these movies are. Like, they, they can... The sound quality is not quite as good as it is today, and so it's hard to tell where they're dubbing. And oh no, yeah, back then, I mean, they dubbed the entire movie. They used ADR all the mm-hmm. time. I mean, it was just apparent. It was just wide open because I mean, they had to, you know, they use ADR. They used, you know, all that other sound stuff where they made stuff in, you know, the sound foley artists as the they call them. The sound. <laughs> well, no, I mean like the foley artists where they make yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys do some cool shit. Of course, I've never heard of that. Go yeah. check it out online. You can oh, see that on amazing. YouTube. It's amazing. Like they use like These people for... use like random shit around your house, and they oh, will yeah. paint a beautiful picture, you know, to to help you feel like something that's on camera is very tangible. Oh yeah, and they're like the they, I love the horror foley artists because those are the real geniuses. They're making fucking shit out of something. I don't know, like they're using like lettuce lettuce heads for like someone getting their head ripped. Like snapping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yep. using breadsticks to snap. <laughs> That's just, but but yeah, so we meet her character getting off of this train. We find out that she's there for meeting the McBain family, but she's in the nearest town and no one shows up, which we know why, but she does it. And as she's going through this, and I'm going to try not to go through the whole movie step by step because there's a lot, but we're just trying to do the introduction of these characters, these main characters. And she's on a, on a stagecoach and the stagecoach, the, 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 the carriage guy takes her, turn, take it to the McBain farm. He's already making fun of her about it because they all know about the McBain farm because they think he's nuts. But on the way to the McBain farm, he stops off at this bar. Now, the bar is run by Lionel Stander, who, if you see him, you'll recognize him. He's in a lot of TV shows and movies. He's a character actor they used a lot in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And, and he's the bartender, and he's talking to her about, oh, you're this, civil, you're this fine woman from the city. Oh, he's telling her this whole story. In the middle of the story, you, you, hears, you hear this gunfire, and the whole bar like goes quiet. And as 
the bar is quiet, waiting for somebody to walk in the door because they, they don't know what's going to happen. You see Jason Robards, who is this character called... <laughs> Apparently, I didn't know this was his full name, but his name was his character name is Manuel Cheyenne Gutierrez, which Jason Robards is not Hispanic in any way. Yeah. I think he was like the Cadbury guy for a long time. I don't know. But he was <laughs> he did a lot of commercials, I remember as a kid. I loved his voice. Yeah, I think he was the grandfather in Something Wicked This Way Comes also. But um, but I love Jason Roberts when I, was, when I was a kid growing up, and I mean, oh, he he was in Magnolia. That's right, he was in Magnolia. He was the old man that died. He was Tom Cruise's character's dad. That's right. Characters in Magnolia. Oh. He was the one that was dying. That was uh, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman was uh, the nurse for. Yeah, man. Remember. That's what's wild. That's right. I forgot. And he was the dad. He was the grandpa that gave the kid the twins in Little Big League. Man, man, no going back. Yeah, yeah, dude. Oh my god, I'm looking at I'm looking at his repertoire, and I forgot how many good movies I saw of him. He was in he was in a lot of stuff. But yeah, I mean, anyways. But yeah, so he he plays Cheyenne, where he's not Hispanic in any way, shape, or form. I mean, he is. <laughs> he's not, but. I mean, for God's sakes, he's he's of Swedish, English, Welsh, German, and Irish ancestry. He is not Manuel Gutierrez. He's not yeah. Hispanic. But like he, a, still, he did a great job with the character. He did a great job with the character. I love some of the lines in the that he had in the movie. And he was also a cold guy, but he was he seemed like he seemed like a, a reasonable individual, just you know, hard case. You know, he's mm-hmm. you know he's an asshole with a heart of gold, as they say. But you know he had he had morals he had scruples. They had to, they had to paint a little bit of a contrast from the cartless killer that we just saw to yep. the also still very bad guy but yeah. not a good guy. No, <laughs> no, good guy, good guy. But yeah, so as we as she goes to this in this bar, you know, you also he also meets harmonica, and then as we're in this, oh, he's walking up to the bar. He asks for a jug to drink, and you see his hands have the handcuffs where you you didn't see them before because they didn't never showed anything above his chest it mm-hmm. showed everything above his chest nothing below his chest and then when he grabs the jug you see he still got the handcuffs and he has this whole thing with just the handcuffs out of in the way and then as he's walking to harmonica some dude tries to pull the gun he's like hey wait a minute guy you don't want to do that kind of thing and then he makes the guy shoot the handcuffs and oh Fantastic. I was just, this guy is great. And I love how, you know what I always, what I noticed in this motion picture a lot is that you see their eyes and their eyes are so white. Like you see that they're so pronounced as far as the white of their eyes in this motion picture. Like that's the, that's the, that's the character. That's what they're trying to sell. They hired that actor. But you got the darker skin too, right? Yeah. To show that they've been out. The contrast. Yeah. Like even. Even the Italian actors are the same. They're 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 so tanned, but when they move around, their eyes are just so like pronounced. I it's wonder just... if it. I wonder if it's something. Okay, so obviously these characters have these defining physical attributes, but they're weathered. Um, but you know, and, and I'm sure that that's a, a good like return. Like lots of people like to watch that. Maybe in this mm-hmm. era, that was the style. Oh yeah, um, the, the states loved spaghetti westerns. They had oh my god. But if you. If you think about it, you know, with the old technology they were using to film these people, they needed to contrast to be able to see what was mm-hmm. going on on these like old film uh, cameras that they were using back yep. in the day. Yep. So I imagine it was 
kind of uh, easy to stand out. Like, oh, this person, I could see their eyes. So I really like that character. I'm going to identify with this person. I'm going to want to see more movies that this person is in because I could actually see what they were doing. I could see all the emotions and the acting they were actually doing versus kind of being a blur. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so when you had the, um, then when, when he left and whatever, mm-hmm. he meets Harmonica and we see this whole you know exchange between them. He's, you know, he, Harmonica lets him know that, you know, that he killed three guys that were in the same coats that his crew wears. And he's like, no, they're not my guys. He's like, okay, well kill the whole family. So make sure kind of thing, just basically letting him know that, Hey, you, you know, you might need to find out about this. And so, but then he just talks about a farm and, you know, that's something that I killed that, that he said, I killed, you know, three guys and they all wore your stuff. He says, Oh, uh, there were three men I met at the train station that were in these coats, three men with bullets in them that were in these coats. And they're like, Oh no, those aren't my guys. Four men don't die. Yeah. My men don't die. Exactly. So when and he then leaves, that, that trope continues on, yeah. I love that he's like, uh, Cheyenne men have a short uh, mortality rate. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so then when he leaves, she goes off. Then she finds out that her whole family is dead, and there's already a funeral happening. Okay, and you know throughout the pan, we see people, specifically a guy named Wobbles, which we'll find out later on. Literally, you know, sold out the McVeigh family to these people. Because everybody in town knew that McBain was getting married, but we find out, you know, because this movie is a Western, it has the gangs and, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. But it also has like, I guess you could say like, you know, corporate espionage in a sense, because you have rob you have robber barons, you know, the railroad barons also in here for the time. Oh yeah. There's all kinds of, um, I guess new, like warlord kind of things being yes. set up, right? It's yes. No different than gangs or cartels or mafia or mm-hmm. you know whoever's turf versus whoever's turf. Everybody's um, making a living in the same way, and any yeah. many different generations over. Yeah, the years. and then these people were called robber barons for a reason because they controlled their empires with like an iron fist. They made sure that no one fucked with their shit, and if it had to be either done in you know a cash way by selling by 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 giving them money or in a violent way by hiring somebody that could not get back to them they did that and they did that in a very horrible fashion especially these railroad barons which we know did they made a lot of money but they hurt a lot of people in the process i mean a lot of people in the process this isn't like we're not making shit up this is all like historical fact that they they hurt a lot of people in the process either by Paying them next to nothing to build these railroads. Lots of exploitation, lots of manipulation, lots of control, yeah. lots of lots of murder, side um, handed deals, lots of killing. Yeah, all these yeah. different things. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure that not every railroad family was like that, but there's a lot yeah. of them, and many of them have a similar story. Exactly. Um, and so we enter our character Morton. Yeah, that's of one of the them. Morton man. Railroad. Mm-hmm. And he wants to get this farm. We find this later on that he wants his farm. And we find out that he hired Frank to kill his family. But what they didn't realize, which we find out early in the movie, is that McBain wasn't getting married. He was already married. This was a... Uh, essentially, this was a announcement party 
being being uh, fashioned as a wedding because he was already married. They had married a month before, but they no one knew about it. It was supposed to be a surprise, and they were going to do a wedding, kind of a wedding. Like some people do that, they go get eloped, and then they have an actual wedding for the family. But they go get eloped beforehand, and they come and have a wedding for the family, like a local, like a very private event. But they've already gotten married. They either gone to the courthouse and got it done, or they went to Vegas and eloped. Then they wanted to have like a little private thing for their family. So that was one of those things where they had already gotten married in New Orleans, which is where she was from, and they were coming as a surprise. So they thought that, oh, he's getting married. Oh, we'll kill him before he gets married so we could take this off of him by talking to the state or going to the county and, you know, buying this from them because we probably have people on payroll there. Mm-hmm. You know, but now they have to deal with a widow who gets everything because she got married. You know what I mean? So that's like a, a like a thorn in their stick, like a, you know, Fucking burn their fucking shoe, you know, as they say, you know. Oh, no, the word is thorn in the side. You almost got there. No, no, but then burn my shoe is another one. <laughs> Haven't you had to burn your shoe? You live in Texas. You live in Texas, dude. Burn so... your shoe. I've gotten to burn my shoe, and it hurts like fuck. I hate it. So, but yeah, no, I mean, but that's where the corporate espionage gets into play, you know, because he hired Frank to do a job, and basically he fucked up because he didn't realize that. There was someone else in the picture. So now they got to see what next. Oh, I got to get rid of this woman now. I figure it out. This was something I didn't plan on. And you can kind of see that the guy who's the, you know, the robber baron, Mr. Morton, which we find out lives on this train because he has tuberculosis in his bones. Yep. And he's not going to live very long. He already can't walk. Yep. You know, he's. He's limping around with crutches. You see his a contraption where for him to get around in his train, he has to crank these bars to come down from the seat so he can walk and hold on to these bars as he, he go around. You know, his you know what I was thinking about? Um, you know, they, they mentioned obviously that he has tuberculosis. And then my first thing that comes to mind is you remember how back in the day, whenever they were still trying to figure out medicine, they used to do those, um, what was it called? Like a sanatorium where you'd go out and, People with tuberculosis would basically just sit outside all the time because that was oh, how you healed it. Lepers. No, basically, it was, it was essentially it was like, it's it's a it's a it's an insane asylum. It was an asylum. Kind of, yeah, it was basically like like a retirement home or asylum where you were basically just confined to sitting outside and basking in the sun, and then go inside and eat, and go to sleep, and then yeah, go it back was, outside. It was essentially like out in the country, out in like. Yeah. The beach or something and like that. This, obviously, this was a very different time frame, right? Like, um, I, I want to say it was like in the 18, 1900 kind of space when those sanatoriums were a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, Westerns were far before that. But yeah, um, my first thought was if he's got tuberculosis and he wants fresh air and the freshest place you can think of is the untouched Pacific Ocean at this point. Probably. He's trying to save his life by spending any amount of money he can to get but on to the way. But on the, but on the way, I mean, he's literally sucking CO2 from a train engine. So, I mean, I don't get Constantly. it. Constantly. <laughs> so, I don't get it either. Like so, an instant death wish. <laughs> I mean, he's he's already not being able to hardly, he can hardly breathe because of tuberculosis. But hey, let's go ahead and suck the CO2 coming out of a steam engine. So that'd be That's great. That's what you need. More fluid in your lungs, dude. Yeah. Get it, <laughs> let's, get, let's get it there, buddy. And there, he has cigars to smoke too. I mean, I don't I don't get it. I don't get there it. Was, I will say that the way that this story is told, that 
it didn't need to be three hours, but I understand how they got there with all these long drawn out, just stares that we get to get set the, the tone of any given emotion. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause nobody, mm-hmm. again, no one talks. Right. Um, I don't know how they, well, if it was just a script uh, with all of the setting of the scene, then 400 pages is fine, but worth a dialogue. This is a three pager folks. <laughs> it's, um, true. it's true. It's very true. I mean, I can say like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's basically the case. I am not going to lie. That is very true. It's, <clears throat> there's not a lot of dialogue in the movie. There's it's a lot of shots, a lot of like non-dialogue scenes, yeah. but I but mean, the point I was getting to is that with with so little dialogue, they did a really good job of keeping the story. Once we knew what was happening, we understood all of the moving pieces. Mm-hmm. Normally, with you see like, intricate sequences like this, it's only you know I, th- I think of like you know heist movies where the last ten minutes is showing how it really happened and who did what, and it's all a big montage of the actual heist that you didn't see this whole movie, you know. Um, and so this this whole thing kind of, it gets difficult for you to understand all of these different moving pieces, all these different intricate things and why they're all related. And why does this guy not kill? Um, what's his name? What was the guy's name? What was it? Frank. Yeah. Why is no one killing Frank right now? Mm-hmm. Um, but you get to see all by the end, it all kind of plays out and fits together. Yeah. So I mean, they did really good explanation of things like the whole thing about a, a station only existing. Yes. Yes. Like we didn't know, like you, like when you're like, what the fuck is going on? Why, why do they want this land? Like, why do they? You saw them; they wanted the land, but you didn't know yeah. why they wanted the land. Yeah. And well, then, and, and you, I don't know. Like, you think it's an arbitrary thing? Like, they would just didn't want this station to exist. They want to pay out. They'd already invested in it or something like that. But I know a lot of arbitrary facts, dude. I did not ever consider that a train station needed to have water, and we always see those water stations at every old western train like, station. Yeah, they have the water, water tower. Towers. There's a water tower. And I never put those two together. And so, so here, here's yeah, and here did I until this motion picture. Like, like I had in the movie. I assumed the water was for the people. Yeah, I they were drinking water on the. <laughs> <laughs> maybe <laughs> possibly toilets. I don't know. Possibly because you have you have the dining cars, so maybe that is the case as well. I mean, maybe I don't maybe. know. I just never assumed it was for the actual fucking train. (laughs) I'm not a train enthusiast. I did not realize that fact either. But so one of the things that, you know, one of the things that I, 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 and once again, like we, I always say it and I forgot to say it now, we're going to jump around a lot people. Um, So talking about that. And then when we see, when we see the uh, earlier in the motion picture, we see her going through all these different like, buildings that little toy buildings we thought that it was for a kid and one of the buildings said station on it and we didn't think anything of it like we didn't think what that was oh it's it's the kid's toy you know we didn't think anything of it plant that seed there's like little there's like little tidbits and that's what's why it's always amazing is because there's like tidbits it's just they're giving you little bits and pieces and then things start coming together it's just like oh yes uh, give me more the blurry the blurry sequence of, oh, uh, of yes. Frank inching ever closer toward the camera, and you and it, you like you start off and it's just just a giant blur. You don't even know who it what, is. What it is, I'm looking at. It could be a horse. It could be a fucking train. I don't know. And throughout the movie, we get another two or three seconds, another two or three seconds until he comes into focus. It's That's, a young Frank. Yeah, it's a young Frank, and it's it's Henry Fonda again, but he's mm-hmm. even darker. With darker hair, so his eyes are even bluer, and it's just yeah. like, oh my god, what the fuck, what is this? But we'll get to that in a second. 
But then, but we have like the aspect of the actual land with this guy Morton, and then, like you said, in the motion picture, we see we see uh, Clardy Cardinal's character Jill show up to this hardware guy, and he's reading her off this order that McBain had for the land, and he's like, and it's 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 her and Cheyenne at the place, and you see Cheyenne a lot, which is great because Cheyenne's like. He's like in fact kind of I think he's kind of in love with her, but he knows that he can't be with her, which is kind of heartbreaking because you're like, man, you can totally just live your life with her, dude. Don't even worry about it. Just, you know, be with her. And she was gonna probably stay. She would have stayed with him too. You know what I mean? Like she would have been like, I'm okay with you staying here, kind of thing. But he's he's like, oh, like, what the fuck is all this? You know, he could he's like he wants to build a new barn, and then like like oh, he could build eight barns with this, like you know, like oh, you could buy to build a new little town. And we find out because oh, he didn't say what he wanted to show on this, and it's a, it looked like a signpost, but then they cut away and they show the station of the little toy, and she's like station, put station yeah. on it, and you're just like oh shit. And then we see when everything gets delivered, we find out that the reason why this place is so important is because it's the only water available between Flagstaff or Flagstone. Is it Flagstaff or Flagstone? I think it's Flagstaff. I don't remember. Might have yeah. been Flagstone. Yeah, I, I think it's remember. whatever. It, the, the, the next town over, which is Flagstone, Flagstaff, whatever, and then within 50 miles and then another 50 miles is the next town. So within 100 miles between these two towns, this is the only place for water that you can get. And her so, miles is a long distance for folks in the West. Especially for trains. Carrying yeah. cargo, carrying people. You know, they're doing a it's pulling a lot of weight, cars. Mm-hmm. So apparently, like we just said, we didn't know these train engines need water. And I can understand because they need to cool down these engines probably every so often. You know, yeah. so they have to cool these engines down a little bit so that they don't burst their boilers because they have boilers yeah. that's right they that, have boilers. i know that's what i know now obviously yeah. it's a steam locomotive yeah, it's a steam locomotive it so they have water. boilers yeah so they have boilers but i just never considered that you needed to have water refilled like there was a True. fuel i just assumed True. you got more coal and kept I going mean, Derek, water evaporates so i know damn it i'm, I'm <laughs> mad at myself too okay you don't have to remind me i'm no, mad at myself it. i get too. it too but i mean it was just it was just crazy, and more than likely also water for the dining car because you had people get water. Oh, shut them. up! <laughs> no, no, I'm saying for myself. I mean, I'm thinking about it in in conversation. It's like, okay, you have water for the dining car and people like that. That's you know, like a jug, not yeah. a whole water tower. But they had water on the place, so they probably got it from there. But anyways, yes. but <laughs> but anyways, but yeah. So that's the whole point, and that's how you see the reason why Morton wanted this land. For that specific reason, so what I like liked about Cheyenne also is that there's a scene where you know uh, we find out this guy named Wobbles worked for Frank, and he's the one who sold out the McBain family to Frank. We don't find out that until a little bit later, but we see Harmonica show up and beats the shit out of Wobbles (laughs) in his own laundromat. Yep, which. He's basically human trafficking also, if we want to be real about it. I mean... For sure. I mean, he's totally taking advantage of these Chinese women, you know, that are living in his space. 
but we call that servitude, sir. Yeah, yeah. We see it a lot at the railroad production and yeah. all of that as well. Yeah, unfortunately. But he beats him up in front of these women. And then the next day, uh, Jill goes over to him and tells him, I want to talk to Frank on my own. I want to go to him. He's like, oh, why is no one talk telling me about this Frank dude? I don't know who that is. He's like, let him have him come see me. And she walks away. We know he works with Frank because if Harmonica and her are coming after him, then they know. So we know at that point. And then he goes to meet with Frank at the train at Morton's train and Harmonica follows. And in this whole scene, Harmonica is captured, which I'm sure it was by choice that he wanted to be captured anyways, because he wants to talk to Frank and, and, you know, and actually meet Frank, you know, because he hadn't met Frank at this point. It seems like he really just knows He hasn't met Frank. It seems like this whole time as we follow, you know, our, our lead here, um, Harmonica just is the guy who knows exactly what to say all the time in any moment. And sometimes it's to be an asshole. Sometimes it's to play my harmonica, but he, he gets himself in some pretty hairy ones and essentially doesn't die because he talks his way out of it. And he's not talkative. He just knows no. what words, what, what few words I need to say to move this to where I want it to be. Exactly. Like when he is taken hostage and the guy asks him and Frank asks him, who are you? He goes, Oh, Dave Jenkins. He's like, it's a dead man. That's a dead man. He's like, Calder Benson. Like, that's not a dead man. Who are you? Who are you really? Like he's and you can see Frank at this point is getting very frustrated. Because it's not this this time that he tells him this, but it's the second time he meets him later at a bar after the auction. That does not go well for Frank, because Frank tries to buy it cheap because we find out that he went to go see Clarity Cardinal's character Jill. He was gonna get it for ten bucks. For ten bucks, basically. And then it's like three hundred acres. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and then and then we see and then he asks him his name again and he gives him another dead guy's name and he's like you need to give me your name and he's like oh you'll find out when we finish our business all that kind of stuff you know it's just you're like you're like what is going on with this guy like who and that's another thing that you love because they're giving you little pieces you don't know they are like the aspect of that blurry scene where we end up seeing it's Frank you know. Spoiler alert, like again, this movie came out in 1968, so if you haven't seen it, watch it. But that scene with, you know, the blurry scene ends up being the reason Harmonica is Harmonica. Because yeah. it's, I forgot, I'm, I'm, my mind's drawing like it's his it's brother, his brother. Right, right? His brother. His brother's getting hung, but Harmonica is holding him up as a young man because his brother is literally standing on his shoulders with a noose around his neck and he know and harmonica's tied on his hands behind his back and harmonica knows that if he moves his brother falls and gets that and dies yeah yeah harmonica essentially was the only reason his brother was alive and harmonica fell and his brother died yeah and the only reason why he's harmonica is because before before he left and left them to deal with that situation, left him for him to kill his own brother. He stuck a harmonica in his mouth. Yep. And that's it. And so this harmonica guy just proceeds to become said badass uh-huh. to exact his revenge. And it's been many, many years. And lo and behold, 
he's arranged to have an appointment with Frank. Yeah, and that's what we get in the beginning of the movie, that he's arranged to an appointment with Frank, and I guess Frank doesn't care who this person is, so let's just get rid of him, because that has something more important to deal with than this fucking guy. And it turns out that nope. he killed all three of his men. You know, and he's like, uh, it's just... It's just wild, dude. It's wild because yeah. he told him on the train. He's like, "Oh, you're the and you're the guy who doesn't make get his appointments." <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, which is which is fantastic. I mean, like you said, I mean, he doesn't it's say little, much. Little quips, right? But, it's it's just little things to throw a little bit of zing in there. Yeah, and then on that same train scene when you know Frank leaves and he kills Wobbles by shooting him in the suspenders and the belt because he doesn't trust him. Yep, <laughs> you know. We see Cheyenne kill all of the guys who were left on the the train station for harmonica, you know, and and he kills them in great fashion. One through a window, one through his boot. <laughs> he shoots that yeah. guy in the right in the face too, which was wild. I thought it was and, kind of funny that he shot a hole in his own boot. It was. He shot a hole in his own boot through a hole in the boot, thinking that the guy was like hanging his foot over, you know. And the guy walked over and he shot him right in the face, you know. So. You know, there's that, and then he shoots another dude. Uh, how do you shoot the other guy? He shoot the other guy, uh, the third, because the third guy too. He shot that guy through the glass, and then he shot another guy coming out of the bathroom. I think he shot another guy coming out of the bathroom or something. Yeah, I don't maybe. know. I don't remember. It was. I don't remember. But either way, I mean, Not it was a great boy. scene. It was a great, great scene. And he, and he and he calls in. He starts talking to Morton, and he calls him Mister Choo Choo. Like just mm-hmm. like, you know, it's just. I don't know, dude. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's just so much this movie, <laughs> so much this movie. But, but yeah, I mean, but you got go talk because I'm I've been talking a lot. I think I mean I think it's cute the the way that you're so in love with this western, right? <laughs> it, it you is. love your you love your like uh, lean silhouetted figure in the dust. Oh. You know whether it's a samurai film or oh. a western, you love them. <laughs> My God, it's and bro, I ain't gonna lie, but Henry Fonda in the black, man, he he cuts a mean figure, dude. He, he's, did, so yeah, he's got this he's got this lean silhouette and he's you know it's all black and he's got these steely blue eyes and like this uh incredibly man i i was watching the remastered version and so um there's lots of detail that i don't think you would have been able to see in in the original releases and so forth and man that guy's i mean razor shaven yes every scene yes like there is not a thought of stubble. Nope. nope. <laughs> and and I'm and th- that's the only way I think we can really distinguish between him and young uh young Frank whenever yeah. whenever we see yeah, what he's yeah, done. Yeah, when we see young Frank, he's got stubble. Like he's, he's got like, stubble and he looks a lot more spry and so forth. Yeah, yeah. And it's the um, same character, same actor. I mean like nothing's changed. It's it's the same person, but he no portrays himself. No CGI. He portrayed himself as a young person and he gave off a young person vibe. But, but the one thing I did like about that scene is that yes, he's steely eyed. He's cold as the older Frank, but as a young Frank, he's still, his eyes are unemotional, but what he's given off is he's smiling the whole way through. And you can tell that as a young Frank, he was just, absolutely psychotic well and and you know i mentioned earlier that they paint this picture around like the good guy the mostly 
good guy and the bad guy and a clear distinguishing factor between who the bad guy is, is like this maniacal, um, joy that he's finding in this torture that he's doing at a younger age. But then also he's also the only one who rapes Jill. Yes. He's also the only one who, you know, thinks that he's going to be able to walk away with all this money and master the smartest guy in the room every time and you know we see out the end of the film how that really plans out because while you think it's the most important part of the storyline this relationship between between um you know frank and harmonica and what story they've got everything else is what the movie fills the time with i mean they they we got the train no not even the train scene really matters it's just young frank and frank dead yeah (laughs) those only scenes that really matter to that story and that's what you think the whole movie's about yeah and then and then uh what was it called there was the other thing that was um the other part of that was the aspect of the um the part for what was it oh man i had to had to go in there oh there's the scene where the robber baron you know uh morton Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he decides that you know frank is basically gonna fuck me over i know he's gonna fuck me over so you know what i'm gonna fucking this i'm, I'm at my wits end i'm gonna do right. what i can and so what he does is he sits in with these guys playing poker and he says oh deal me in and instead of dealing out cards he deals out to every guy in the room five hundred dollars which in this time frame five hundred dollars is a lot of money yeah, I mean that's that's hundreds of thousands of dollars, probably. No, that's that's I guess well, yeah, hundreds of dollars. Yeah, because I mean, back then it was what like a dollar for a shot of whiskey. Uh, I think it was like maybe five dollars for a room, maybe maybe less. I don't know. I don't know. I don't like, know. Coffee was a cent. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, it, 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 you know, five hundred dollars back then was a lot of money. A yeah, like twenty lot. grand. I just googled it. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of money back then, especially for these guys who are money-driven. They're money-hungry. And you see him do that, and then the next scene with the train, you see some dude run off the train on a horse, just rides rides away. We don't know where he's heading, but then we see the auction happens, we see the, 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 the discussion, and as Harmonica's looking out the door, you see the same dude who ran off the train show up because Harmonica's watching, Harmonica's watching, looking at all these guys who were out in the street with guns and he knows, Oh shit. He see kind of sees like, fuck, it's an ambush. Yeah. He knows it's for him. He was reading the room. He was reading the room basically, which another thing we were, just, we were talking just now also is that harmonica is smarter than what you realize. Like he, he, he's definitely taking his time. Well, to he's, get patient. Up he's definitely a patient motherfucker. And he sees some dude run up and he sees him come out to these guys we see the guy who was standing up on a balcony jump down and you see that they're all talking to each other. And then he kind of realizes that, oh, something's going on. I can see this isn't for me now. And at that point, you know, he leaves the room, done with his conversation. He's not getting the money. But then Henry Fonda leaves the hotel and realizes fuck and he kills all the guys that were there to kill harmonica he kills them and he realizes that morton has fucked him over by paying off his own men 
yes. Frank is getting hunted essentially yeah. by his own men. Now he's and, just hunted by his own men. Yeah. And so Harmonica tips him off, mm-hmm. saves him in one case and lets Frank kill off his own dude. So he can go back and figure out what's going on. With yeah. Exactly. And that's when you see Morton actually die at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Morton's still trying to pay people off and all these other things. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it becomes just a slaughter. And whenever Frank essentially goes back and sees that everyone's dead, by then he's kind of realized that it's the end of the line for what he's been doing. He's yeah. kind of lost everything that he needed. Yep. And man. Crazy bro. We and, and like cut back to, you know, the farm where, or the soon to be station. Yeah. It's going to be town. They're, they're, they're building it all. And the, the train is, you know, quick approaching and all these different things. And meanwhile, you know, Cheyenne's inside with Jill, you know, setting setting up shop, and Jill's much more friendly, and they've got a good, you know, relationship. Because she realized she's going to make a ton of money. Oh yeah, oh yeah, she's set, and I think he knows it, and and he's not being a dick about it, and so he's essentially decided he's got to leave. Turns out that <laughs> Harmonica's sitting outside, just waiting, waiting for his chance to, to kill Frank. Leave. Settle what he needs with Frank. Yeah. And then we see we see uh Frank show up. And and the thing is, like that whole sequence paints the picture that the movie has finished. The story has concluded. This is where everyone ends up at. The farm is gonna do well. The station is here. Our three big characters, you know, Cheyenne and Jill and and Harmonica are all gonna be buddies now. They're all hanging out at this station now and making all the money. Mm-hmm. But then Frank comes back. Yeah, Frank shows and, up, oof. and Frank and Harmonica have their last little repartee, you know, their little conversation. And this is, uh, and Frank still has no idea who this guy is at this point. He still has no clue, but he knows that if he's gonna survive or you know deal with anything that's happening at that moment, he's got to get rid of Harmonica. Harmonica right now is standing in his way. He's messed up everything that he had planned. Frank didn't even realize the whole time that the harmonica was the same guy. He didn't realize not he didn't, the, the entire, not until the end. And He's literally that many and just, just threw it off. Forgot about it. For, yeah, I, didn't, I mean, I don't know who I've, yeah, he's like, he's like, I don't know who you are. I've killed a lot of guys. You know, he doesn't even know who this guy is. He's killed so many people in his life that it's just, it, it's nothing. But when Frank and harmonica, have their little standoff, which is another great scene. And you see Henry Fonda's just, like I said, cuts a mean figure, man. He cuts a lean figure in the sunlight. When he kills him, when he's about to, when he killed, when he shoots him, then harmonica walks up and stuffs the harmonica in his mouth. And that's when Frank realizes. And we get the full return memory of, what we've been seeing in a blurry st- uh, stupor, this whole thing. Yeah. Is when Frank nearly killed Harmonica, Harmonica and, his kills, and his brother. And just, and that's, and then of course, that's when he fight out. And then he's like, <laughs> and he spits out the Harmonica and it's just like, he's done. That's it. And he's yeah. just dead. And it's great. A reckoning, man. A reckoning. Complete, right? complete and utter reckoning. And it's just been like, it's, it's, it reminds me of those movies where like, you know, you see, Oh God! Like the movies where you just see like like those like, 
it's stupid. Like those Ocean's Eleven movie where everything just kind of wraps up in the end, like real quick. Yep. They just kind of yep. like show all the high stuff. It's just, quick montage. This is what really happened. Yeah, this is what it is. But yeah, and then you know we go back to the town and we find out that Harmonica's leaving, and Cheyenne's like, I can't stay here either. But as we're leaving, we find out that Cheyenne, Cheyenne got shot. Cheyenne got shot. He's dying. And he's dying. And he got shot because. For him to them to save, he had to be he had to be captured. And for them to get away, his guys had to save him, but he got shot in the process of trying to escape. So we find out that he actually been shot. And this whole time that we've seen him in this scene where the, the town is getting built, he's been bleeding out. <laughs> we didn't know he was bleeding out the entire time. Yep. And so we're left with just Jill at the station and station and She's gonna harmonica off on his own doing his thing mm-hmm. off into the sunset. And he just took him, he took the body, and he's probably gonna sell it to the marshal and get the money. It's <laughs> so. a beautiful, it's a beautiful painting the way that this was done. It's very simple storytelling. Um, I think this is definitely one of those situations where a film does a whole lot more with so much less. Yeah. Right. And and really helps to fill in the spaces that you know silence would would otherwise be. Right. Mm-hmm. It it really impressive. Really well done. I'm I'm glad to have seen it. I don't think it was worth the nearly three hours. But dear God. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and 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 you have the like you said the cinematography, the framing, the shots, directing, technically gorgeous motion picture. But then of course just the way the music came in on different scenes where you have the electric guitar just start blaring in the scenes mm-hmm. and you're just like this great. And the harmonica is just whatever, but it's, it, it, and you know, he's not playing it. That's for damn sure. Right. But it, it adds a layer to the scene of what's happening because it's, it's how harmonica portrays. Cause you see his eyes and you could see the emotion of what he's trying to say, but the harmonica is kind of adding to that. So, I mean, there's a couple things about this motion picture that I found out. One was that this movie, when it came out, there's a theater in Paris when it came out. <laughs> I read about this. There's <laughs> a theater in Paris that this movie ran uninterrupted for two years. What? Okay. Yeah. Yes. So, so, so this movie ran uninterrupted for two years. That I'm not saying that it ran 24 hours. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that it, they didn't remove it from this theater for two years. And the thing is, is that he visited the theater to do an autograph session because he had heard about it, and he met one person that was less enthusiastic to see him, which was the projectionist. He told the projectionist told him, "I'm gonna kill you." Because I've had to run the same movie over and over again for two years, and it's so slow. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. Oh, so it's just that's, that's just great. one of those things that's hilarious, dude. You know, that was so, a fantastic, useless fact. I yeah, know, yeah. I laughed yeah. when I read that one. Yeah. So, oh, another thing, you you weren't here for this, Derek, because you had to step away for a minute. But one of the things that we talked about was how Frank, you know, Henry Fonda didn't want the role originally. He turned on the role. And when he did mm-hmm. the role, he took it fine. He enjoyed it. He But when he showed up to shoot, he showed up with brown contact lenses. 
Why? Because he had this whole thing with his blue eyes and he didn't want to wreck, wreck that. And Sergio Leone was like, don't fucking do that. I want your eyes. I want your eyes because Frank has blue eyes and I need your blue eyes because that's going to give off more emotion than brown contact lenses. Really? Yeah. Why yeah. would... Huh, whatever. Yeah. I'm glad it was a good choice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because he wanted the audience to instantly recognize Fonda with his blue eyes. That's what he wanted. That's what he wanted. So... But yeah, so all right, you guys ready for some ratings? There's there's not too much other complexities here. No, there's um, not. I mean, the, it, mov- the it's movie's not, not, it's not that a hard. Nuanced film. No, no, it's not. It's it's not a nuanced film. But go, let's go with the ratings, guys. Who wants to go first, Derek, Elias? Elias, man, this I, is your last go. Seven. Yeah. And again, just putting seven. myself back in 1968, watching this thing at a drive-through. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Um, as a timepiece, I enjoyed it. I will also admit that I've gone down a Charles Bronson fanboy moment, uh, stroll down memory lane, and I've watched Death Wish 1, 2, and 3. Yeah. <laughs> After watching this movie, you watched them, you really watched them I, for real? I really watched 1, 2, and 3. Oh my it, god, it's a childhood thing. I didn't have cable growing up. I, I watched this on TV too. My grandfather. He was a hardcore game for that kind of stuff. Yeah, with Eric Roberts running naked. <laughs> Which one was that? Oh, one? I think maybe? that was no. I think that was actually. I think that was. Wasn't that one? Wasn't he was in one? Eric Roberts. Is that Julia Roberts' brother? Yeah, yeah. That was. No, his, that was. It was like his first movie. No clue, guys. <laughs> oh my Death God, Golden was in Death Wish one, but yeah, overall a seven. I enjoyed it. One of the things I really loved. Um, and I don't know, because I had to step away for a moment, too, was some of the one-liners or the quotes, some pretty memorable yep. ones. You know, the guy with the suspenders in the belt and not being able to tr- – you, you wear suspenders in a belt because you can't even trust – I can't trust a man that wears suspenders in a belt. <laughs> yeah. You can't even trust his pants. Right. But yeah. <laughs> a, a lot of little quips and, again, memorable little moments. I, I really enjoyed that scene um, with Fonda walking through the caboose and the angle that they took. And showing, or sh- yeah, it was Fonda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Walking yeah. through Frank, walking through it from caboose to caboose, and all the dead bodies, and um, really interesting. Difference. Just counting them up. There was a lot of good stuff in yeah. that, man. Yeah, so, for seven. Real. Seven. No, no, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. You're right. It was Jeff Goldblum in Death Wish. I thought I, I had. I haven't yeah. seen it in so long. I didn't realize it was him. I thought it was Eric Roberts. But you're right. You're right. Are you going to watch any more? Of these, of course, I am. I have to finish. He's, he's got to do it tonight. He's gonna to watch the next one. <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, Derek, uh, what about you, brother? Uh, how much I enjoyed it 3.2 out of five, mm-hmm. and then how well it was made 3.5 that brings us to a 6.7. Okay, okay, like, not happy, but it's all right. I'm okay with that. I'm okay I don't with think that. It's bad. I, I, I enjoyed it, um, you know, for. Like in my mind, a very classic Western. This is probably among the greats, um, but it's hard to surpass my uh, childhood nostalgia of Tombstone. And oh I, I yeah, love, I love that. And I you know do. it's a different movie. I know it's you different in, in so many different ways. But I love that fucking movie. You do. It's so good. <laughs> anyway, yeah, six point seven. So what do you get from us? All right, for me. Um, I'm going to give this one, uh, honestly, I'm going to give this one a seven, five. I mean, it's, it's, really? got, it's, I got, you were going to give it a nine. No, 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 no. It's, 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 I understand the aspect of the tropes in the motion picture. I understand that it is kind of a tropey spaghetti Western. Um, 
I do think it's epic. I think Sergio Leone was did a masterful work in this motion picture as a director. The actors are okay, except for Henry Fonda. Charles Bronson, I mean, honestly, Charles Bronson has never had very much range. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, he's not never had very much range. I mean, this is basically Charles Bronson's best work, yep. essentially. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's done a lot of good movies. He was in Dirt, he was in the Dirty Dozen. He was in that Iron Sun movie that I that I told you about with Shiro Mufuni. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's done a lot. He's done all the Death Wish movies. I mean, he's he's done a lot of movies and he's done a lot of good movies, but this is probably his best work, and that's honestly not saying much. Um, because he has to he doesn't really do much, need to do much, you know what I mean? He just has to keep looking the way he does. Um, and then of course you had Jason Robards, did a pretty good job too. He was good. I mean, it's it's everything else is there. Basically, this movie, if it didn't, if it wasn't directed by Sergio Leone, it was directed by someone else, this probably would have been a lot worse. Probably would have been a five, maybe even a four. Well, and at the and time, it got, it got it cheesy. Probably a huge. Oh, this movie was a huge success. This movie has an 8.5 rating in fucking IMDb. And it's on a $5 million budget, which is a lot of money for back then, but yeah. for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, so, I mean, it's, for me, it's a 7.5 because there are things that are not great with the moving picture. Like sure. the dialogue is not great and it is a long, it is a slow burn. It's slow. Yeah. It is tough when you're watching the movie for the first time because it is a Western and Westerns are not that long, but he made this into for his masterwork as one of his last Westerns he would make. And so, you know, he, he did that. So, so, so with our, our combined scores, that brings us to a 7.07. Okay. That makes it um, not quite as good as Hereditary or not quite as good as Ghost in the Shell, but better than 3,000 Years of Longing, and it's scored higher than Scarface. So there you go, man. So it, it's, in go. Good, it's in good company. It's in yeah, good company. It's I think not, it's a good space for it to be in. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an enjoyable motion picture. It's prob- I think it's one of those movies they say you have to watch before you die. So you're welcome, both of you. So, yeah, I mean, I guess. You know, it's it's on every list of hundred greatest movies of all time. I mean, it's considered, like I said, it's considered one of the greatest westerns, if not the greatest western of all time. It's right up there with The Searchers, with uh, High Noon, uh, mm-hmm. the original Three Ten to Yuma. Yeah, you know, you know, with Glenn Ford. So, I mean, those are all those movies that they're all together as far as they're all on those top hundred movies of all time. But they, a lot of people consider this to be the best Western ever created. So, but that. with that being said, top shelf, Elias, top shelf, Elias, top Elias. Shelf, yes. what do you got? You, what's your, what's your, uh, death wish token of wisdom as you drop it off to it? Is it's, it, is it going to be death it's, wish? It's death wish. Oh God. But, but <laughs> hold on. Is it, the, is it the Kevin Bacon death wish? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, the, 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 the Bruce Willis, the Bruce Willis death wish. I watched <laughs> oh, it. Oh my god! It, it, dude, I, oh my god! I love Bruce. I've gone down a Death Wish um, rabbit hole, rabbit hole of, of <laughs> hell, and I can't let go. It's bro. The same common themes are as a rape, a murder, and a shit ton of shooting and killing with accurate precision from Bronson. It's fucking amazing. And every film has a little bit of titties, like enough like 80s titties for like you know <laughs> kids would go crazy for. But oh, the acting's terrible. However, like you noted, Death with uh, Death Wish One, Jeff Goldblum, his first mm-hmm. acting credits. Death Wish Three, the curly haired guy, Alex English from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Keanu Reeves' uh, sidekick. Oh first yeah. Acting his... credits. 
Yeah. Um, ever in, in real history. life, they are like best friends. Jeez. Oh, I didn't life, know that. By the way. Yeah, in real life, they're like best friends because Alex English is actually a documentary filmmaker. Okay? Who would have thought, huh? And he did a documentary recently while, you know, when they had finished filming or uh, were about to start filming the last Bill and Ted movie, like he had completed a documentary film and he had Keanu be the narrator of the documentary. You know what? Look at that. Imagine that bring up Keanu Reeves. Um, if you've got Hulu... If you enjoy F1, I don't know if you guys have watched any F1, but um, he narrates or hosts the Braun, Braun, a a story of excellence or something by Braun F1 team on Hulu. Uh, Really great little uh, documentary about this team with no money, no resources, came out of nowhere and won the F1 championship um, back in 2009 or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, and Keanu Reeves is the guy interviewing people. It's really interesting take. I never would have taken it him for what was it called? Uh, Braun. Where's it at? I'll tell you now. Okay. Do 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 do. Braun, the Impossible Formula One story. Okay, it just it was. It's a recent thing that came out, it or came out um, probably two three months ago on Hulu. Oh, okay, cool, yeah. cool, yeah. cool. Worth cool, a watch cool. if you like documentaries right. and stuff like that. So, so. Uh, it, your top shelf is Death Wish, all of them, or just the first one? <laughs> Death Wish series, all of them. And I'm not, okay, I'm not okay, yet, got it. But I'm fully invested, and it's all because of Tomas and this movie. <laughs> You're welcome. I saw Charles You're Bronson, welcome. and I'm like, that's the bad motherfucker with the big gun. And I, I'm trying to find out which was the favorite movie I had growing up. I think it's Death, Death Wish 3. I haven't moved on to four yet. I think four is another one I watched, but we'll see. I'll let you guys yeah, because man, they showed all those movies on TV, heavily edited, heavily yeah. edited, heavily dubbed, and I mean, I mean, just they're terrible, terrible. They're they're absolutely horrible motion pictures, absolutely horrible. They're so bad that IMDb doesn't even credit actors in in part three. <laughs> well, you know, did I read? Did you see what the what Jeff Goldblum's character's name is um yeah it was weird uh freak number freak, one freak number one he's free- is he the guy that runs naked no he is the guy that rapes and murders his wife bronson's wife oh that's right that's right and, who's and, the guy that runs naked i have a weird there's like a weird i don't know there's like a scene where one i, I will tell you man the it's so one of my, my my daughter was in the room and i was watching uh part one that scene was not Cool to watch. Like I, I was, I was kind of shaken by it as well. So, again, film has really changed in the last four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that came out what, like in 79, 74? late 70s, if not early eighties, seventy eight, okay. seventy nine. Yeah. Okay. Seventy four. Oh, that's hilarious. That's that's. Sorry, <laughs> I can't believe you picked the Death Wish. That's great. That's great. Right. I'm super happy you chose it. That's I'm super happy you chose the Death Wish series. Thomas. No, yeah, you go, you go, you oh, go. Okay. You go, dude. I gotta say, folks, I've been I I don't know, I just never put two and two together. I've been I've been holding on to a sleeper, man. This show is it is incredible. It is probably easily in the top three shows I've watched all year, and that includes Ted Lasso. Um this show kind of came out of nowhere. I didn't hear about it on its way. I didn't know that Netflix had greenland the series, but 
there's guy who did a whole bunch of content um, called Michael Green, who decided to write and create this uh, story called Blue Eye Samurai. It's a Netflix series. And this thing is incredible. Oh, Thomas, is that your is that your pick? No, I gave that pick. You did not. Oh, yeah, he brought it up. Two, I brought it up. It wasn't my top shelf, but I brought no, it up. Oh, you did. It was on Heartbeats Loud. I see. Yes, but either way, either way, I'm you picking can it. To, this, to, it I, I told you. It is incredible. I dude. told you. It's so good. It's so good. So this series is nuts. We've got a samurai who's out for revenge, and and I think they greenlit season two. By the way. Oh God, I hope so. I, I would, think they I, did. I think they man. did. And I think they did. The the animation, the storytelling, the character building, all and of it's, these like backgrounds. It's and it's created by a woman. It's so it's good. written and created so by a woman. It's yeah. So Michael story. Green, Amber, Neozumi, as well as oh no, those are the two creators. Yeah. And and so it's dude, it's so good. It is so good. And it's vicious. Um, it's vicious. Yeah, definitely like, not not a children's show. And a lot of the people who worked on this do a lot of like American uh, comic book movie straight to DVD type content, you know, like for, you know, Green Lantern and Superman, all those little like short little movies. Right. Um, and this is CG, but stylized to look like it was hand drawn mm-hmm. and incredibly well done. My yes. gosh, it is so so good mm. so that i i binged it it was it was fantastic eight whole episodes they were an hour piece they were so good oh god yeah and, 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 and they're worth it and the time is great because you don't feel like you're 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 like just 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 going through the motions with it like it's a, it it and, and every episode was good and it was well written they were smart the language were the dialogue was good every time yeah. yeah every every episode was built everything had like a beginning middle and end and it had like these trajectories like there was a whole episode that hardly even had to do with the samurai because we got to see what was happening with the princess yeah and and where she was going through where she was at what happened to this you know uh brothel or whatever dude Y'all need to, people at home. Go watch this show. It's on Netflix, for God's sake. Yeah. Go watch it. Blue Eye Samurai. It's good. It's good. So uh, as far as for me, my top shelf, I mean, God, I went through a lot of shit, but um, I know I did the first season of the show, mm-hmm. but my, I, my, my pick right now is the second season of right now I'm watching is uh, Reacher. Oh, really? Yes. The second season of Reacher, if you haven't seen it on Prime, you can watch it on Prime. Watch the show. There are about 10 episodes each season, supposedly. I'm in, we're in the middle of the 10 episode. That, that episode, the, the first, the, mm-hmm. we're in episode, I think, nine right now, I believe, or eight is when it's out okay. now. I have to see. But either way, every week comes a new episode. And so they. Um, Who's in that? Okay, so the mo- the 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 show the guy the guy who plays uh, Reacher is a guy named Alan Richson, which if you see him you'll recognize him because he was um, also recently in Fast X. But he's he was Aquaman in Smallville. He played Adam Curry, Arthur Curry in Smallville. 
Kind of reminds me of John Cena. He's just huge. He's gigantic. Oh, he's dude. like six two, six three. But he, he's he put on a shit ton of muscle mass to play the role. Uh-huh. The guy is actually a singer. He was on uh, America's Got Talent or the, one of those musical voice uh, shows. I think, yeah, yeah. So he's 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 from like Grand Forks, North Dakota. I mean, like he's he's you know true blue, you know apple pie kind of guy. But he uh, he is he's kind of coming to his own now with Reacher. Because the show, the, this this second season, when it came out, it got a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, oh, it is an, it is a fantastic season. I mean, every episode is amazing, and he is great in every scene. He's not just, and he's not. He's playing. If you've seen the, the movies with Tom Cruise, um, you can. I mean, it's a stark difference, but they're basically the same kind of person extremely smart very strategic knows what needs to be done knows how to handle himself in a fight completely brutal has no qualms of killing you if he has to right but knows that he needs to get to where he needs to get to he knows he has to get to certain points to find out what is happening and what the whole picture is and he's Basically, the whole episode, every episode, he's playing chess, not checkers. Is this, is this similar to, uh, gosh, one of those Jack Tom Ryan. Clancy, Jack Ryan, Tom <sighs> Clancy things? Kind of, dude. It's it's like a blend of that with spy with a with ton of other layers. Detective shows. It's it, like it's, a typical eighties, nineties themed gunslinger, smart guy blend. It's an American yeah. James Bond. Pretty much. Basically, mm, kind of, okay. kind of, but he's he's an ex-military police officer, but he's not like a cop. He wasn't an MP. He was part of the what they call this. They're they're, they're called special investigation units, where they handle. Oh, it says he was a veteran military police investigator. Yes, like he's he's not like he's they're not they're not like specific, like the FBI for the military. Basically, like NCIS is for Navy. Yeah. He's like that for like the army, you know. That's that, that yeah. what they're called special investigation unit. So I like it, man. So it's, it's 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 a it's a really good show. I would suggest Derek watch it. It's worth your time, dude. The first season is good because you get you understand because this guy, his whole thing is that he all he does is walk around or he takes he takes buses. He's a retired military. He lives off his pension. He mm-hmm. he if he gets. He doesn't wash his clothes. He buys new clothes at a fucking, you know, Goodwill. And I mean, he's he, he all he has is his wallet. He doesn't have a cell phone. You know, if he wants to do something, he wants to go see something. He goes and sees it because that's what he wants to do. And he doesn't either buy hitchhiking because he knows that if somebody picks up and tries to kill him while he's hitchhiking, he's gonna kill that person anyways. So, you know, you know, and and, and, and every, I'll check it out, man. Every I'll episode they talk about how big he is. It's just hilarious. So well, he packed on thirty to forty pounds of muscle mass. Oh my god! Because yeah, he was not that big in Smallville. Dude, he was a normal looking guy. He yeah. is massive, dude. You know, thirty to forty pounds of muscle is. He it is gigantic, and the good thing is, is that the only thing I liked about it right recently is that it was announced that he's in the new Alan Ritchie, uh, Guy Ritchie movie. Sorry, that's coming mm-hmm. out in April called The Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. If anybody yeah. doesn't know what that is, look it up. It's amazing. It's supposed to be pretty cool. I'm looking forward to that one. I mean, do you know what the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare is, Elias? I do not. 
so it was the precursor to MI6 oh. and the CIA. Oh, I Basically, it was uh, Winston Churchill would created this group of individuals and from all walks of life and all nationalities. And basically, he made them say, do whatever you want to the Germans. I don't give a shit. I don't care. Just fucking go. That's all he said. He said like his famous line for them was set Europe ablaze. That's, That's all hilarious. he wanted to do. One of the characters is actually Ian Fleming. Yeah, he was part of the Ministry of Benjamin of Warfare. Interesting. And so was uh so was um Christopher Christopher Lee. Oh, this is awesome. Christopher Lee was also part of the Ministry of Benjamin Warfare. So, anyways, all right, guys. So uh that is it. Uh, we have to also have our choice. What is your pick for the next motion picture that will be moving on, moving at this point forward will be myself and Derek. Derek, what is your choice for the next motion picture? So um, I was, man, I kind of wanted to look for a comedy and I really wanted it to actually be really good. And so it's tough. Like if you're trying to find a new comedy and you really want it to be good, but you haven't seen it already, you don't already know if it's, it's fantastic or not. And so I'm kind of taking a shot in the dark here, but it's an A24 film and I'll just give you the synopsis real quick. It says hapless family man, Paul Matthews finds his life turned upside down when millions of strangers suddenly start seeing him in their dreams. But when his nighttime appearances take a nightmarish turn, Paul is forced to navigate his newfound stardom. So this movie is this called Dream Scenario with, the, with, with Nicolas, Nicolas Cage. Cage. <laughs> it was nominated. Is it a comedy? The awards we were just talking about. It is listed as a comedy fantasy horror. Oh my god, you picked a horror movie, dude. You won't let me pick Army of Darkness and you picked a comedy horror motion picture. Let's hope I don't regret this, okay? <laughs> we're trying. Okay. If that's the case, dude, I'm gonna pick comedy horror at some point this, this is, year. This thing is like it, it's the perfect pick because if you think about it, I want something funny. You love Nicolas Cage. It's an art, it's an A24 film. Who doesn't love Nicolas Cage? Let's back up for a second. Yeah, no, yeah, for real. Every Everyone loves Nicolas Cage, blah, blah, blah. Tomas loves Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I do, I do. Dude, I, I text my, uh, one of my former co-workers every July 19th or something a, a gif of Nicolas Cage in Con Air. Where oh, the wind's blowing in his, in his face. And oh. His just like, you know, he got to his off the bus. Yeah, so it, the bus scene. So every yes. July, whatever that date is, we send each other the GIF as a meme because <laughs> my daddy's birthday is such and such date, blah, blah, blah. So we always commemorate <laughs> that day. All right. Well, everybody, that's the motion picture we're seeing next time. Dream scenario. Elias, thank you for taking for you being a part of this journey for this last year. Thank you, guys. Uh, that is that's going to be the next movie of the start of our what we consider our new season i guess because this was the last season so why not why not all right everyone that's about it thank you for joining us today we had a great time and we'll see you next time peace, peace.